Free Talk Live. Welcome to the program here. You can join us. You can bring up anything you want to talk about. The number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Joining you tonight, it's Ian and Aria. Coming up, we will get to the story that we teased last night about Chase Bank targeting Bitcoin users. Because uh, I definitely want to hear about that. I do not know anything about this. Arya has that one. But there's a lot in the news right now about Russia pulling out, allegedly, from some sort of nuclear proliferation treaty called START. And according to the... You, know, you have to be careful how you read these headlines and how you uh, you know take in this news. Because... The technical terminology is suspend. So, like yeah. on on uh, on Dredge Report right now, there's a big picture of a missile shooting, and then of course there is fear cells, yeah, man. Yeah, and if then, there's anything COVID nineteen taught us is that people eat fear whole. Sure they do. love it. Yep, and that's of course uh, the government needs to have people in a fearful state because if you are uh, in a fearful state then they expect you're going to look to them to protect you and they they yeah. you know if, if people aren't afraid of something a big, some sort of boogeyman whether it be terrorism or russian missiles or free staters or covid or free staters or whatever there has to be some sort of uh, big bad guy for them to be afraid of and so right underneath the uh, the picture of the missile launching it says putin suspends nuke treaty warns of global war how far will he go so of course I, you know, didn't want to rely on the Western media to report on this particular topic. So Good I went, decision. went straight to the Russian media, uh, which of course is state controlled, just to get their uh, their perspective on it. Yeah, but if you're going to get lies from the government, at least Russia Today is honest about it. And Actually, I'm not about going it. to Russia Today in this case. I'm using uh, TASS, which is a Russian, the Russian news agency. Uh, T-A-S-S dot com. Because a lot of times, like, I'll go to, to RT and they won't always have, like, the straight uh, report or not the, like, the, uh, the, the translation of whatever Putin's speech was. Okay. And you can usually get that from, like, directly from the Kremlin or whatever. Uh, in this case, I did not read the translation of his speech. It's over almost two hours long. It's like an hour and a half or hour and 45 minutes long. So That's pretty extensive. He tends to be pretty long-winded when uh, when he gives speeches, as many politicians tend to do. Yeah, but two do. hours? Good Lord. Yeah, it's a long speech. That's, that's a dissertation. But uh, they do have a summary here from the Russian news agency TASS. And I just want to share the just the beginning portion because it has to do with the the I'm start just, tree. I, I'm still hung up on an hour forty five minutes because you know I, I've given speeches in before. front of an audience. Yeah, and I know how difficult it is to give you know a thirty minute speech. But if right. you're speaking for an hour and a half to two hours, <laughs> you're doing you're not reciting a memorized speech. You're speaking from the heart about something that you Maybe. genuinely believe at that point. I mean, it could have been a teleprompter. I don't know. Okay, okay, fair point. I forgot about. I did. Like, I'm not being sarcastic. I did temporarily forget about the existence of teleprompters. That to does change fair, things. To be fair, I am looking at an image of the auditorium in which the speech was given, and there does not appear to be a teleprompter in front of him. Okay. Uh, but I haven't watched the actual speech. Like I mean, it's I certainly not impossible. You know, you get me a subject that I'm passionate about, and I can easily talk for two hours about it. Yeah, but sure. I'm not going to... Almost no one can memorize and recite a two-hour-long speech like that. No way. Yeah. 
so anyway, here here's the kind of brief summary of what what went on. Uh, they say here at TASS, Russia suspends its participation in New Start the last major remaining nuclear arms control treaty with the United States. President Vladimir Putin said in his State of the Nation address to the Federal Assembly on Tuesday, according to him, Moscow is not withdrawing from the treaty, but will return to its implementation as soon as it understands how nuclear arsenals of the United Kingdom and France will be taken into account. So they're, quote-unquote, suspending participation temporarily is based on something that on. isn't new information though new start that's how long has this treaty been in effect does it uh, say I think it gets into it it was i believe and maybe it's not in this story but it was the uh obama administration and then there okay, was a previous so. start prior to that that was i think in the early 90s actually it was right before the the fall of the soviet union they entered into one but it's not so new that they'd be like oh you know this is a new issue that didn't exist Six months ago or whatever, they they could have this issue with the United Kingdom and France's nuclear arms existed two years ago. Yeah, it's not clear what exactly the uh, the confusion is, but that's what they're saying. Uh, Apart from that, Russia will prepare for possible nuclear tests, but will not be the first one to conduct them. In his address, which lasted an hour and 45 minutes, the president brought up such issues as the special military operation criticized the Western states' policy and announced a number of new social and economic measures, including the creation of a special fund for supporting veterans of combat actions and education reform. So we're not going to cover all of that stuff here. What, but- is, what would the additional point of testing nuclear arms be? I mean, to see how much more devastating and damaging and destructive <laughs> they could get? I'd, if I you understand know. how the concept works and you have detonated successful ones in the past i don't understand what could possibly be gained by detonating another yeah it's uh maybe they just want to test the supply make sure they're still working which you know <laughs> i don't know could be good but like these materials are supposed to have half-lives of like five thousand years yeah. and stuff well, so i think that's why they do underwater testing right do they do underwater testing i believe that's a thing. okay well and that that's at least safer it seems like i mean it's probably not, not for doing much for the fish yeah, yeah. In the wake of NATO's recent statements, Russia is forced to suspend its participation in the nuclear pact. Quote, I repeat, this is from Putin, Russia is not withdrawing from the treaty, no, but merely suspending its participation, said the president. Russia will return to the treaty as soon as it understands how the arsenals of not only the U.S., but also other nuclear powers of NATO will be taken into account. Wait, I I don't think that's how I don't think that's how treaties work. I don't think, like, if you go back in time to the medieval kingdoms and they have a treaty not to attack one another, or like uh, Britain and France, France just can't go, okay, we're suspending the treaties for a few days, attack them, guys, and okay, okay, we're back. Treaty's back in effect now. It doesn't work that way, man. If you suspend it and you take actions that are counter to that treaty, then the treaty's no. Well, no saying the actions will be taken counter to it. I know, but I I don't think you can just say, well, this treaty's not valid anymore, and I'll... Well, maybe he's saying it's not valid because of something that NATO said. Now, it's not clear what that is here. And as I said, I didn't read the the translation of the speech. Uh, The Russian Defense Ministry and State Nuclear Energy Corporation, Rosatom, should prepare for nuclear tests if needed, but Moscow will not be the first one to conduct them, which means that if it is revealed that the United States is doing nuclear tests, then Russia will go ahead and do their own nuclear tests. But until that time, Russia will not conduct the nuclear tests. I mean, that's fine. The United States isn't doing nuclear tests anymore. We hope. 
I mean, no, they moved on to biological weapons and chemical <laughs> weapons and other right. things like that that won't leave lasting damage to the surrounding environment. It's Nuclear worth- weapons, they're great for a show, and they were great for their purpose in World War II, but it's so much more effective to just have some sort of germ or biological agent that wipes out. And we know the United States government does this. Agent Orange, they were all over it during the Vietnam War. They, they didn't stop. COVID? Yeah, well, probably. Yeah. But Good they certainly didn't stop doing their weapon research for chemical and biological weapons after Vietnam. Well, I mean, I, th- I see what you're saying. The uh, biological weapons could certainly be more devastating uh, if they're effective and you know are, are catching and killing people. But uh, a nuclear weapon is still quite devastating. Oh, right? without like a it's, doubt, yeah. It's, it's going it to destroy could be apocalyptic. a lot of life. Yeah. Uh, Russia launched its special military operation, which is what they call the Ukraine conflict in Russia, in order to protect people on its historic lands and eliminating a threat coming from Ukraine. Moscow made every effort for a peaceful settlement, says the state news agency, but a, quote, completely different scenario, unquote, was plotted behind its back, and the Western states involved in the talks play, quote, with loaded dice, unquote. The responsibility for current events lies with the West, which is trying to pull away from Russia the historic territories, which are called Ukraine today. It was them, the West, who unleashed the war, and we were and are using force to stop it said the president. That's such a weird way of looking at it. But I mean, obviously that's their perspective. And I I can't say their perspective is factually incorrect. That's not the way I view things. That's not the way I interpret the facts. But certainly, I mean, that's a valid. How do you interpret it? If, if, again, from their perspective, Ukraine was bombing the Donbass, which had voted in 2014 to leave Ukraine and Ukraine didn't acknowledge their vote at the time and then just started started attacking them apparently for seven years until finally uh russia decided to come to their defense so russia didn't see it as an invasion as much of a we're trying to defend these people who wanted independence from the tyrants in ukraine right yeah i'm I, i'm not saying so, they're they're clearly not factually incorrect that's one interpretation yeah. of events and you know it's legitimate. Everyone's going to pick the interpretation they prefer, including the including Vladimir Putin, and that's just how it is. Everyone's got a different perspective on this, and that most Americans can't come to terms with that basic reality. We we all think of ourselves as the good guy. The United States is the good guy, and Russia's the evil guy. Well, yeah, okay, maybe, but from their point of view, they're the good guys, and we're right. the evil guys, and they they can't separate from their own egos enough to recognize that reality and to even recognize the validity of that viewpoint the hate i understand in your world i'm the bad guy well just remember it's not we who are the bad guys it's the u.s government it's nato it's the ukrainians or you know germans or these people the europeans who are sending weapons uh over to ukraine right now and uh, we're going to get into the potential consequences for sending these weapons over there. He addresses that coming up here in the next section here. So about the uh, the so-called special operation in Ukraine. I love that they're calling it that because they they probably didn't learn that from the United States, but it, we could very easily say they learned that nonsense from the United States. Don't because, call it a war. You yeah, because they never called the Afghanistan war a mm-hmm, war. Right. Or was it Iraq? Or was it Korea? Or... Whatever one going all the way back, yeah. you know, to the end of World War II, the, the conflict. Yeah, the United States, as far as I'm aware, has not actually fought a war anywhere since, since World, World War, War II. II. Not officially. 
It, it's all. They certainly haven't declared one. It's all. No. And because declaring war is passing. If you declare war, then you have a goal. Mm, and you can right. a- and you can achieve. You'd have to have that like goal. an ending. Yes. Like some sort of uh, requirement, right? That's why the whole war declaration thing went away. And that's it's not an accident that endless war came about once mm-hmm. people stopped declaring wars, once the United States stopped. Because it's a very clear endpoint. We're declaring war. Okay, victory is achieved when we destroy the enemy or when we destroy the enemy government. If you don't have a war, you never actually have a victory. So he said that the Western elites are seeking to inflict a strategic defeat on Russia. And, quote, are planning to turn a local conflict into a phase of global confrontation and that Moscow will react accordingly. The West cannot but realize that it, quote, is impossible to defeat Russia on the battlefield, said Putin. He warned that weapons supplies to Kiev will trigger consequences. Quote, the longer the range of the Western systems being brought to Ukraine, the farther away from our borders we'll be forced to push the threat. He said, I mean, from a logical perspective, that makes sense. If you put, you know, if you're putting weapons into Ukraine that have a range of a thousand yards, I mean, a thousand miles, Mm -hmm. then they have to push a thousand miles away from Moscow in order to keep you from being able to strike Moscow. Right. That's silly. I mean, intercontinental ballistic missiles are a thing. And so the United States doesn't need weapons in Ukraine in order to attack Russia. They don't, but they are insisting on continuing to send billions and billions, and what was it, over $110 billion so far from the U.S. alone. Uh, that doesn't, I don't think, include the actual weapons and tanks no. and weapons systems and things like that. And I don't uh, want to discount these things, right? If, if my neighbors were sitting over there you know, pointing cannons and tanks and guns all at my house, I'd be a little anxious, too, even if I was like... Hey guys, uh, we're we're friends over here, right? We're mm. we're not enemies. I mean, they just keep amassing. Doesn't seem very friendly. Weapons out there. I'm like, all right, uh, I may have to do something about this, right? Like, put yeah. put your guns back a bit or whatever. But the missiles, I, ever since I was in like high school, this has been a thing. This meme has been floating around, not necessarily on the internet, just in general. Of look how crazy Russia is putting their country around. While it, where it's surrounded by all of our military bases. And it's just the United States has surrounded Russia with military bases and with missile silos. Mm-hmm. It's insane. And, and then the yep. United States Americans, you mentioned that we didn't do this, certainly not. But because of this conceit that is democracy, the average person thinks, oh, this is my government. This is I'm me. I'm doing this. So they think I did encircle Russia with a bunch of missiles and ICBMs and nuclear weapons and as though it's totally fine. Yeah, and yeah. even if that was you did if if it was you who did it, then stop doing it and withdraw those weapons. Nothing is gained by yeah. pointing guns at people. Yeah, that could be the direction they went, but they're not going in that direction. In fact, Joe Biden just apparently showed up there within the last 48 hours and met with uh, Zelensky and who knows what that was about. You know, who knows what conversations with a great meme that came out of it showing Joe Biden with like a briefcase, a huge suitcase, just burgeoning full of cash, nice. walking out of Ukraine. Oh <laughs> uh, uh, well, no, Biden. Well, I don't think Biden wants the money, right? It's well, a power thing. It it, it is. is, and it's it's for Lockheed Martin and the military industrial complex in the United States. Yeah. They need war, right? Their product is bombs and weapons and crap. Right. Those things have to get used, or they just sit there forever, like the nuclear weapons did. We. That's why the United States doesn't want. 
to continue building nuclear weapons. It doesn't benefit the military-industrial complex. That's why these nuclear proliferation treaties even exist. And this isn't a proliferation treaty, but it's a nuclear treaty to prevent the development and testing of more nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. And it's because the military-industrial complex can't continually drop those and build new ones as a way of making money off of the American taxpayer because you annihilate the it's entire planet yeah. if you do that. <laughs> right. So they don't want nuclear weapons. But they do want weapons, and they do want to use them. That way they have to replace them, and it creates this huge cycle of turning blood into right. money, and the American empire is sustained by it. Yeah, and so it's interesting what Putin is saying here. You know, like, look, if you keep building up the weapons that can reach further and further into Russia, we are going to have to do something about that. He's like, y'all didn't have that before, but now you're going to have them now. So, you know, we would have been okay with just just defending the Donbass, but now we may have to take more uh, more land. They may push into Kiev as a result of this. And I hate that Putin even sounds reasonable. When it, but when I think about this as a ter- as a perspective of someone who like you know, there's property here, and I, I live on it here in Keene, and my neighbors are their guns are too too obvious, right? Mm-hmm. But if they had you know some sort of melee weapon that was reaching over the fence and was positioned to start smacking me down in my own backyard at a certain point, I'd just say, hey guys, uh. I don't think it's a coincidence that you have all of these things pointed at me here, mm-hmm. and you continue putting more weapons here that are pointed at me, and you say it's for defense, yet they're reaching into my yard, and they're prepared to attack me in my yard. Yep. I don't know how you call that defense. Well, at and- a certain point, defense is an aggressive action, I think. Yeah, and Russia is now saying the eastern part of Ukraine is their yard. It's it's Russia. Uh, the Donbass, they're saying, is Russia. They're saying the people yep. voted again. Uh, last year for this. Anyway, let's go to your phone calls and thoughts. We got Ridley on the line here. Dave Ridley calling us from Colorado, I think. Go ahead, uh, Ridley. What's on your mind? Hey, guys. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but LibertyBlock.com is reporting that, I guess, uh, a free stater senator, I didn't even know we had one. Keith Murphy, oh, apparently. Oh, wow, yeah. Free state, project manor, uh, free state project member is a senator Correct. Now. First ever free stater uh, state senator. That happened in November. Yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah. a big milestone for the free state project. And it happened, uh, but they're reporting that, it, the, way, the way I heard about it, because they're reporting that he is doing something interesting, and that is he's trying to... Uh, correct a sort of an innocent until proven guilty thing that the police do so he and a few other republican um senators and or state reps have uh, have, uh, proposed this thing called senate bill 246 uh and the idea is to like make it so they can't uh ruin your reputation just because you're a suspect or you're accused of a crime Hmm. how do they how would that be so the, the the meat of the bill is that it it restricts their use of your mugshot, right? So like once you've been arrested, they don't just they don't get to throw your mugshot around and say, "Ha, ah, we have the the criminal," you know. Um, hmm. It's just to be used for investigative purposes, and they're not supposed to they're not supposed to use it like on social media and stuff like that. I mean, I suppose that's good, but I I don't I don't think it's going to do a whole lot for the cause of liberty, and I don't think. I mean, just about everyone I know, not even libertarians, but just about everyone I've ever met in my life has been arrested at some point. And the fact that they have a mugshot doesn't really seem to bother anyone in one way or the other. There are, there are entire catalogs, especially in Mississippi, that were just collections of people's mugshots and what they were arrested for. And it was entertaining to look at and say, hey, I knew that person. I knew that person. Well, from a freedom of speech and freedom of the media perspective, I have to object 
uh, to this. If there's somebody who's been arrested for something as a member of the media, if I'm trying to report on that arrest, I want to be able to get all the information I can. I should be able to get the information about the arrest, who the arresting officer was, who, you know, what are the details of the, the situation, and I should be able to get a copy of that mugshot. I don't think this is going to hold up. Yeah, good point. The, the, the actual wording is, it says, quote, post-arrest photographs of arrested persons taken by a law enforcement officer shall be considered records compiled for investiga- investigatory purposes and shall not be considered governmental records subject to disclosure, unquote. Mm. Oh, so no, this is, a, this is going to give the government more s- secrecy. This is going to allow them to take pictures that are no longer official, subject to being official public record, and they're just... Yeah, we can, we can't disclose that. That's an active. That's an ongoing investigation. Yeah, I mean, it sounds right. like they're only going to be restricting the pictures, but not the information. So I'm not really sure how much good this is going to do. I don't know why having a mugshot out there or not is going to really make a difference when the person's name and accusations against them are still going to be available. Hopefully, Alu of Liberty Block is out there listening, and he can call in and explain. Yeah, that would be nice, because uh, this is confusing to me. It, it seems like this is not in any way pro-liberty at all. This is, like you said, Arya, going to grant more secrecy to the police. Yeah, the freedom of media perspective well, that you pointed out, that that immediately says so. I wouldn't have thought about that, but that sets soft alarms. But then the way that it's worded, it just allows them to have more secrecy, and it, it doesn't sound pro-liberty at all. As with so many other things, it, it, my concern with it is that it's just yet another sort of branch hacking sort of bill in a sense. Yeah. Um, there's just so many bills that are just, they, they have such a small effect. There are, there are a thousand right. hacking at the branches for every one striking at the root. And, and Matt Sanchez-Nastasa's bill is so much more interesting where it just shuts down the whole war on drugs and yes. goes kind of to the root of the problem. Yeah, that's what we need more of. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of these politicians, they're just not willing to, to play with their quote-unquote political capital and they're just too afraid to take a principled stand, unfortunately. Yeah, but that's not Matt Santanastasso, man. That dude is hardcore. Uh, he's ballsy. So, Super ballsy. It's an honor to know him, man. Yeah, absolutely. Dave, thanks for bringing it to our attention. Uh, certainly, if uh, if Alu's out there, I'm sure he'll weigh, weigh in on this, why he thinks it's a good idea. But I appreciate hearing from you tonight. I mean, the cops are going to, even if they can't release your photograph, they're still going to put a press release out there announcing, you know, who you are and what you've been accused of. And that's yeah. what the media is going to run with. And they'll just dig up another file photo on you, you know? They'll yeah, find and, something else. And having had file photos, you don't want that. I mean, usually mugshots don't don't look great either. But anyway, uh, the number here is 603-283-6160. You could join the show. We certainly don't want them to lock all of it out. Some of you have wanted to support Free Talk Live's mission on a monthly basis, but don't want to support Patreon. Now we have an alternative that also helps our premier streaming platform, Odyssey. Visit video.freetalklive.com and click join at the top of the channel. You can subscribe for $5 per month, and unlike other subscription services, Odyssey adds their processing fee on top, so it'll cost a little over $5 per month, but Free Talk Live will receive the entire amount you pledged. Higher donation tiers are available if you're feeling so inspired. You'll get a special membership badge that's visible in the Odyssey chat room, and if we get enough supporters, we may enable members-only chat. This new subscription method is a great way to decentralize our direct listener support away from just Patreon and also support a libertarian-run business, Odyssey. Please visit video.freetalklive.com and click join to subscribe to our Odyssey channel and help support spreading our message around the planet. Visit video.freetalklive.com and click join today. 
Free Talk Live. Phones are open here, and you can join us. The number is 603-283-6160. Ian and Aria here tonight. The number is 603-283-6160. Uh, we talked earlier about the Russian withdrawal, temporarily it sounds like, from this nuclear proliferation treaty. If you want to weigh in on that, of course, you can uh, bring that up or whatever is on your mind. The Project Veritas drama is looking really ugly. This was a story we had last night, but we didn't have a chance to talk about, and maybe we'll get into that as well. Plus, Greater Idaho seems to be moving forward. We'll explain what that is. It's kind of like a secession movement in a way. Uh, But first, we're going to Ricky in Pennsylvania. You're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead, Ricky. Thank you there, brother Ian. Good evening, Sister Aria. What's on your mind? Well, the stars and stripes. I'm referring to the the flag of the United States of America. That would be the Union. Yeah. Uh, well, what it comes down to is this. I get this. Get you know, this comes from the topic the other night, and I sit here and I look at myself uh, from little on up, uh, starting at the age of say six, I would say. Uh, when it comes to the stars and stripes, we'll start there. Uh, when it comes down to first thing, one thing I never did and would not do, because by the time I was six years old, I already realized this, uh, I had immense dislike and hatred for what the uh, Stars and Stripes represented uh, as a result of uh, everything that happened as a result of the Civil War. Now, pre-war, I probably would have had a different point of view on that. Uh, but also, I, I refused to, uh, to honor the Star-Spangled Banner I've never owned an American flag. Uh, I've never bought anything with an American flag on it. I've never wore anything with an American flag. This has been a problem throughout my whole life as far as uh, my point of view. I don't have an issue with it, but this is the reality. Now, on the other hand, the other side of the coin, when I was a little kid, I'll tell you what I did have. On my wall, I had a Confederate flag. This is a little kid, six, seven years old, you know. And where did you get that? Did your parents buy it for you? Uh, It was a weird one. I don't know where I got it. It was funny because it was actually made of like a plastic material, like a fibrous kind of thing. Pennsylvania was not part of the Confederacy, right? Almost was in 1863, though, by the way. I'm curious what allegiance, if any, or you had to the confederacy or to the ideas of the confederacy well i'm getting into that and when i also when i was a little kid i had on my door uh the general lee from the dukes of hazard i had a confederate flag on i played with little toy soldiers you know little confederate soldiers or muskets and you know cannons balls and stuff like that you know and where is all this going ricky you're just kind of telling us your history of having the confederate flag i mean what's your point well here's my point see what i did it as an early age uh one it was uh uh my own early reading when it came down to it because i was very big into jefferson and when you start with jefferson it doesn't take much to connect the dots when it comes to the civil war and you connect the two together and it does take a bit because Jefferson predated the Civil War by almost 50 years, right? More than that. Oh, it was almost uh, like 75 years. Yeah. yeah so oh, how but, does the Civil War tie to Jefferson? Anyway, never mind. I, I, I don't care. I don't want the history lesson. Okay, Disregard the question. My point is very simple. You know, I realized very quickly 
uh, how things have not only changed, but also how the government had changed. Uh, it, that uh, We, as a result of the war, have a Hamiltonian government. That's how it connects. And for me, it represents everything that's wrong. And how, as a Pennsylvanian, okay. this connects is very simple. Uh, when I was young, I didn't have much resources. I had the library, I had TV, and I had other adults. Well, in this issue, it was, it was other adults, older people, uh, in the library. And at a very early age, all these things I realized. And I've come to the conclusion that probably from an early age, from that point onward, I'd be essentially a, a throwback, including to this day, maybe some new elements thrown in, but I'd be basically a Confederate Democrat. I use old school Democrat. But in reality, I'm a Confederate Democrat. Okay. Was that the whole point they, of your call, they, was to I, say that you don't like the United States flag and you're a Confederate Democrat? Well, I think that's very important, considering the issue with states' rights these days. And that was the whole Listen, ball. Ricky, I, I'm with you as far as, like, I really don't have any love for uh, the whole idea of the United States. So certainly I have no love for its flag, which is essentially you know, a battle flag, right? That's all it just represents, this warmongering state. Uh, It doesn't engender any kind of warm fuzzies with me, but it certainly does for a lot of the American people. Whether that's Mm -hmm. right or wrong, uh, you know, I would say it's it's, unfortunate because they've essentially been indoctrinated. And thank you for the call tonight. I appreciate it. They've been indoctrinated by the government school system that they were forced to go to and then forced to uh, worship like as an icon, worship yeah. this flag. It's idolatry. Yeah, absolutely it is. And most Christians are completely unaware of this. You know, they they say it's wrong to be idolatrous. Right. You know. But then they do it. And then they do it every single day in the government schools and whenever there's, you know, a national anthem at a, a football or a baseball game or something like that. They're all about the the idolatry of the American flag. It doesn't matter the history of the flag. We can point out the history of the uh, the, ple- the Pledge of Allegiance written by a s- actual socialist in the late 1800s. Uh, yeah, of course we, not. We can point out the original salute to the flag, which was the fascist uh, salute, which became the Nazi salute with a hand to the heart and then straight out. There's photographs of that. Yeah, but uh, none of that matters to them because it's not no, about any saying. of that, matter. right? It, yeah. You can point out all the contradictions in the Bible you want to the average Christian, and it's it not going matter. to affect them at all. You can yeah. point out anything you want to people. They don't really care because uh, I realized this when I was watching the secession video, the secession episode of the Free State thing at NBC Boston. NBC Boston, yeah. Yes, thank you. I Where Brody Deshay, uh, the state rep who was most adamant against CACR 32, that was the constitutional amendment to allow the people of New Hampshire to vote on the idea of peaceably the, the uh, seceding from the United States. Mm-hmm. He he spoke with such passion, fiery passion. You about, mean at the hearing? Yeah, yeah, about how just, no, about at the actual uh, vote, voting of the bill. He didn't, right, say, okay. he didn't say this at the hearing. Got about it. how just disgraceful and disgusting it was that people were even considering erasing one of those <laughs> stars from that flag. And just... right. The the importance of this stupid symbol to him mm-hmm. was just. St- I was doing my makeup as I was watching this, I, and just stunned by this dude really cares about this stupid thing. Sure, like this this is a piece of art, a pretty boring piece of art, mm-hmm. and nothing more. 
But to the, this guy, he would lay down his life for that. A lot of people would. Yeah. yeah. It, it and, has and he, a lot of meaning to people. Not even to save anything or to do anything good for anyone, just to keep one of those stupid stars from being erased from mm-hmm. it. He would have given his life. And I'm convinced he probably still would. That's to be clear, that's not a obviously a threat on his life. Obviously, it's not. <laughs> I would uh, not bet on him giving his life for it. He's a politician. He's, uh, a, you he's know, got that. They're p- dishonest. I don't know, man. He, he he's spoke pandering with, to it. That's all. I think most people would be willing if they're okay. Maybe not give their lives because I think more people are cowardly than that. They get really emotional about it though, and they right. will. And some people, some people will start a fight over it. I mean, if you, for instance, were to go in public and burn an American flag, there's a good chance somebody's going to come up and attack you over I've it. I've done I mean, that a couple of times. How do you really? Yeah, not uh, in a very long time, but. I see. If, it's always been recognized as an expression of freedom of speech. I did it a few times in the South. That won't stop people from attacking you over it, even it, though it is it an expression well, of free they, speech. They had other reasons for which they would have attacked me, certainly. Mm-hmm. But it, that was just, oh, that's Aria being Aria. I wasn't called Aria then. But no, right. one, no one was surprised by my antics or shenanigans. So mm-hmm. it was, and it was a small town about the size of Keene. So I knew everyone and everyone knew me. So no one was really surprised by it. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, it, it did happen years ago here in Keene. Uh, a guy named Anarcho Jesse did a public flag burning. And I kind of liked how he handled it because he burned three flags instead of just the U.S. flag. He burned the U.N. flag, a U.S. Awesome. flag, and a New Hampshire flag. So sort of like all levels of statism. I thought that Very was a nice. nice. I thought it was a nice twist to it. And Is there a Keene flag that we can also burn? No, I don't think so. Okay. Keene does have a like a symbol or whatever, a seal, but I don't think I don't know if it's appeared on a flag. Uh, but uh, but he did that, and a lot of us were predicting dire consequences for him, right? Because you know you never know what kind of Looney Tunes uh, nut job in downtown Keene is going to decide to just come on up and start something. Uh, whether it's because they're high on drugs or drunk or just an angry person, there's always they that, are everywhere. Yeah, there's always that possibility. Thankfully, that, that didn't happen. Uh, I don't even think there was really any hecklers or anything like that that were there for it so it was, it, it was pretty unremarkable as far as the turnout uh, as far as the opposition was concerned but you well, never good. really know because people get really emotional about it i mean they've been so well then let them attack their gam gam because she's wiping her potato salad off with an american flag napkin or whatever who gam gam is that like grandma well, yeah, or something okay. basically but i mean you have these things at fourth of july gatherings you have american flag paper <laughs> plates and napkins and yeah according to the actual the flag code yeah, yeah according to the flag code you know that's just mm-hmm. as bad and you have american flag underwear and all this other stuff. okay so yeah. you have the american flag on your t-shirt it do, do you have to burn that t-shirt when it's old and worn out or can you just throw it in the trash at what point is the the special magic piece of cloth being disgraced. I, I would yeah. suggest that around the time your your eighty year old grandmother's wiping potato salad off her mouth onto it, <laughs> all bets are off and there's nothing I can do to that flag that is more disrespectful. But why would you have respect for the flag in the first place? That's we didn't talk touch on this last night, just the insanity of the Pledge of Allegiance. It opens with I pledge allegiance to, to the, the flag, flag mm-hmm. of the United States of America. Why are you pledging allegiance to a piece of cloth, people? What? Well, I don't understand. Because of, in my, their mind, what it stands for. It stands for the U.S. government, which, of course, we all know is evil and tyrannical and just absolutely full of lying scum. But yet people still somehow separate the lying scum, even though they know that every time somebody runs for office, they're a lying piece of garbage. 
that you know somehow people separate that from the concept of freedom, which yeah, they believe see, this rep- represents. And that's fine. I, if I was going to take a pledge to something, I think I would probably be willing to take a pledge to the principles of freedom. Sure. In which case, do that. Mm-hmm. I pledge allegiance to the principles of freedom. Indeed. And then you're done. That's it. There's no yeah. need to put the, these walls between you and freedom that is the United States of America that represents freedom. And the flag represents the United States of America. And therefore, if you pledge allegiance to the flag, then you pledge allegiance to the United States of America. And you therefore pledge allegiance to freedom. Skip all that crap and just pledge allegiance to freedom if that's what you want to do. But it's important for, I agree with you, but for them, the status, for the people that are running the United States scam, uh, it's very important to have the United States yes. in there because they want the U.S. to represent things that it has absolutely no business representing. There's no evidence whatsoever that the United States federal government gives one damn about your freedom. No, there's every reason to suggest that it doesn't care about our freedom. They hate you. They, Whoever you are, they want you to be enslaved to them. They want you to use their crap can fiat money system where they can literally rob you without ever having to tax you. They want you to obey all their ordinances and rules and codes and statutes and all of the stuff they want to shove down your throat that you've, of course, never had a chance to read because you couldn't possibly read it all. But yet they will hold you responsible to it anyway. It doesn't matter because they want to completely rule you. Yeah, I've never read a single law, I don't believe, or a single... I've read the ones involved in the Crypto 6 case. Okay, fair enough. I've read those. (laughs) But prior to the Crypto 6, but I hadn't read them prior to being arrested, right? It's it's insane that we live in this world where I can be arrested for laws that... Okay, if the government wants to have these laws and punish people for breaking them, then you have to first teach people what those laws are. That's rule number one. Why is a society based on that simple idea that you can't enforce a law that you haven't taught someone exists? Well, that'd be really, really great. Um, but that's, of course, why the whole ignorance of the law line that everybody loves to trot out actually was in reference to natural law, where you could not claim to be ignorant of the simple laws of thou shalt do no harm. You could right. not claim ignorance to that. You sure Which as hell I'm should be able to, with. Yeah, you sure as hell should be able to claim ignorance to IRS code 759.37G or whatever the hell, you know. Yes. Absolutely. A lot you know, colon. And you know, uh, a lot of this is common sense or at least it's sensible and reasonable. And I'm not saying we need to have lo- we need to strike all the laws that are sensible. I I think we should, but that let's deal with that later. We, we can start by just having this requirement that if the U.S. government or any level of government wants to enforce a law, then they have to teach people the existence of that law. They can't say, oh, no, it's your responsibility to find out what the law is. No, no, dude, that's not the way it works. You're the one telling people what they can and can't do. You have to tell them what they can and can't do. You can't just announce it and hope they find out. If you want to join the show here, the number is 603-283-6160. So since we were talking about the United States and independence, these ideas, I do want to give a little bit of an update on the Greater Idaho movement. According to KATU.com, ABC News Out West, uh, Portland, Oregon, House members in the Idaho legislature have now voted in favor of the Greater Idaho movement this past week. Which body... Did it specify? Idaho's legislature, House members, so okay. the House of Representatives. It means that the Idaho reps would like to begin talks about relocating the Oregon-Idaho border, 
which is something that many people in eastern Oregon have actually been waiting for. The Greater Idaho Movement proposes that nearly everything east of the Cascades except Bend becomes part of Idaho. Currently, there are 11 Oregon counties supporting the move. So when we last talked about this, I think it was after the election in 2022 because some of the counties in eastern Oregon that hadn't yet voted on this did vote. So there are actually – so like there's movement on both sides on this. It's the counties that are the east side of Oregon. They have put on, I believe, uh, ballots in the counties of each county individually as to whether or not they would like to investigate moving to Idaho. I don't think the, the, the ballot measures have been specifically, we are leaving. I think it's like right. we're looking into leaving kind of ballot questions. And so that's where they're at right now. There's several counties east in East Oregon, a bunch of, say, 11 here, that have made votes in this direction. Like, we want to look into this. We're serious about it. We're, we're, t- we're ordering our county, you know, what are they called, selectmen or representatives or, you know, city councilors, yeah. uh, county councilors to, uh, to look into this. And so on the other side of it now, you've got the Idaho State House that apparently also voted uh, in favor of moving this thing forward. I can't imagine that the state that's losing counties here is going to, you know, be okay with this. I'm- I think there's an argument as to why. And I don't have the Greater Idaho website pulled up the last time we talked about it. I did. And so, as I recall, the argument is basically that the eastern counties in Oregon are conservatives. Okay? So, right. the western counties, the ones, you know, near the coast, Portland especially, more likely to be liberal. And yeah. so, the idea is that... If you separate out the conservative counties from Oregon, Oregon will become more of a liberal state than it already is because they won't have to be fighting with the conservatives anymore. Those people will be gone. Right, but it it cuts away at the power structure of the power-hungry tyrants in the Idaho State House or the Oregon State House, rather. Well, I get what you're saying. Because they have fewer people to roll over and fewer tax money and— that's true. I don't know what the eastern portion of Oregon represents as far as the tax money. There's certainly nowhere near as many people that live out there. I mean, it's basically the woods, right? Compared That's usually to, the case with conservatives versus liberal yeah, territories. So, so I think, and again, it would be interesting to see the numbers, but I suspect it would still be the bulk of the revenue is still coming from those western counties. So yes, you're right. They wouldn't be able to lord power over the eastern counties anymore, so they would lose that. But at the same time, they would be able to get away with even more like liberal socialist kind of programs if they didn't have to constantly be fighting with the people from eastern Oregon. So there's an argument for this, whether it will, you know... Well, I'm all for it either way. I mean, if that's what the people want to do, then let them do it, right? And it, it sort of sets a... It doesn't set a precedent as far as secession from the federal government. But no, it, do- it has nothing it, to do with that. No, but it does set some sort of precedent about separating from one state. Correct. And, and I think that's beneficial. Yeah, if it gets a conversation started, then I think it's great. I, I believe that it would require some sort of federal okay, meaning that if both houses uh, or if both uh, legislatures in both states say, this is fine. We're, you know, go ahead, say goodbye, uh, Eastern Oregon. You're now part of Idaho. We all agree. If all of the, you know, yeah. sides agree, I think it still has to go to the federal government for some sort of sign off on the actual moving of the state borders. And all of this is correctly. crazy because, in realistic terms, nothing 
anywhere is actually changing. Some lines on a map would change, and that's effectively it. That's it. Yeah, yeah. no one's day to day life would change. That they. they Probably wouldn't even get a new zip code. They would change the, yeah, the, that's the state true. they're putting on their mail. But that's it. That would be a bureaucratic nightmare, though. To, to just have all of these places suddenly changing from Oregon to Idaho as far as their addresses go. But e- even then, like, nothing's actually changing. It, it shouldn't be an issue for anyone. If these people want to do that, then they should be allowed to do it. The uh, the website, by the way, for those that are interested, if you're you know up in that area, greateridaho.org, or you just want to you know show your support for them in some way. Uh, once again, it's greateridaho.org. The downside for uh, people in Eastern Oregon, of course, is they will lose some of the you know the things that have happened in Oregon that haven't happened in Idaho, like uh, for instance, drug decriminalization. That will oh. all the drugs that were decriminalized. Yeah, but they probably be, don't want that. They probably don't. They probably don't, uh, but that is something that would change. They wouldn't have legal marijuana uh, anymore. I don't think that there is any recreational in Idaho. I could be wrong about that, uh, but they definitely wouldn't have drug de- decrim. Now, from what I actually heard recently, I was actually surprised. There was a gentleman who was visiting from Oregon, and he claims, and again, I don't know if this is true, but he because I asked him, I was like, well, how's the drug right. decrim going? Expecting the answer was going to be, yeah, everything's fine. But he actually made it sound like it's it's crazy. He he made it sound like that there's like meth head tweakers in the streets just doing all kinds of crime and would, getting away with but it. But that would have been the case before. And if they're doing crimes, then that's a failure of the police, right? It, yeah, I guess. He claimed that the police have a policy of not arresting someone for up to two pounds of methamphetamine, which I just found to be absolutely unbelievable. I mean, I'm good with that, but if they're out there robbing people or committing other crimes while on meth, and you don't arrest them for possessing the meth. You don't do anything about the meth. You do something about their actions, their yeah. illegal actions. It's just one man's opinion. I right. don't know what the truth actually is. It would be unlikely. It would be unlike the results that we've seen everywhere else in the world yeah. where there has been decriminalization. He, I, I suspect this person is seeing what they want to see. Yeah, it seemed unbelievable to me. But uh, again, just one guy's perspective. If you're out there in Oregon and you can comment uh, a little further, because you know we saw what happened in Portugal where it was a matter of sh- a short period of time where... Uh, fewer overdoses were happening. People were getting uh, treatment. They were you know, getting help for their addictions. And it was like a total turnaround in how things went uh, in, in Portugal. And it's been that way for like right. 20 years now. So that was what, of course, inspired the changes in Oregon. And I don't think it's been just maybe just over a year at this point in Oregon since this like went into play. It might have been February of uh, I don't 2021 was, yeah. or something like that. Or maybe it's been two years now. Anyway, we should. It's to the time where we should start to get some statistics. There should be yeah. some some numbers coming out of Oregon, looking at this and looking at whether or not it's been uh, been effective. And I just wanted to relate that because sure. it's something I heard. And again, I mean, all evidence that we've seen up to this point has been that if you decriminalize drugs and you stop arresting people, you stop ruining people's lives, then everything sort of gets better. Most things improve at least to a degree. If they don't you, get worse. If you want to join the show, uh, the number here is 603-283-6160. Coming up, Aria, you've got this story. Uh, we've teased it for a couple days now. It's about Chase Bank, one of the worst, one of the biggest big banks. I've never used them. But cracking I've, down. I've heard negative things.
you know, like any old bank, they, uh, they're good until they're bad, and they usually go bad at some point. Well, none of them so. are good until they're bad. They're just, they ignore you unless you <laughs> right, end up that's on what the I radar. Mean by good. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, me alone. I guess that is good, right? I mean, that's what I want a financial institution to do to, is to leave me the me. hell alone. All right. So, more coming up here. Uh, hour number two is on the way. If you want to weigh in on the greater Idaho movement, especially if you're up there in Oregon, or Idaho, and you want to share your thoughts, because maybe there are people in Idaho that don't want this to happen. Um, I don't know who, who they would be, but you're welcome to join us. Hour number two coming up, the number 603-283-6160. This is Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live. Talk live. We're here and we'll take your calls and thoughts about whatever you want to discuss. The number is 603 283 6160. That's 603 283 6160. Here tonight, it's Ian and Aria. And Aria, you had a story you were going to share with us about Chase Bank targeting Bitcoiners in the ongoing crackdown that we've been seeing across. The Bitcoin world, we discussed this Operation Choke Point 2.0 briefly last week. Who uh, named it that? Um, I don't think it's an official name. It's what this uh, guy Nick Carter, uh, okay. writer at a substack called Pirate Wires, has called this. But they, uh, the Choke Point 1.0 was where they were cracking down and during the Obama administration on uh like people that were doing sex related businesses porn producers uh people like that also gun uh gun shops gun manufacturers things like that these were being essentially denied bank accounts banks were shutting down their accounts even though they're completely legal businesses they were just basically being told by the government hey look we're going to make life difficult on you if you don't shut down these accounts and now we're seeing similar things happening with the cryptocurrency industry, where bankers right. have been told in recent weeks that, yeah, it's not illegal to have accounts for cryptocurrency companies or crypto exchanges or whatever, but we don't look kindly upon it here at the federal government, the Federal Reserve, the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, these different uh, FDIC, the different regulatory agencies of the banking industry. So the the banks are basically on notice. And of course, many of the banks have been hostile towards crypto uh, from the beginning. But those banks... Well, it's competition. Right. But those banks that actually didn't see crypto as competition, but might have seen it as a new service to offer their customers because they were like, I don't know, not completely closed-minded as far as banks go... Well, they've been given a spanking recently, essentially, by the federal government and told, you better stop doing this. We're not going to say what's going to happen to you, but something bad may just happen to you if you keep messing with this crypto stuff. That tends to be how it goes with the federal government. I mean, we've seen it a lot with the SEC in recent years where they... They they don't tell you what you're supposed to do or what you're not allowed to do or how you're supposed to do it, and they won't really tell you what the punishment is for not doing for doing what they didn't tell you that you couldn't do but they're going to do something bad yep and you can look at what they are doing which is the sec is going after stable coins now they've already gone after our friends over at library and they won the case against library that has yet to still be uh quote-unquote settled as far as what the punishment is going to be doled out but ultimately library is not going to survive this because they're completely out of funds and well, this bankrupted them. Yeah, the government got what it wanted. 
Right. And so that's not quite over, quote unquote, yet, but it is essentially going to be over within a matter of months. I just hope it remain. It is the case that the SEC is not allowed to go after Odyssey at the same that's time. That's what we're waiting. We're waiting to right. see if the other shoe is going to drop on that or not. Uh, so we'll keep to keep you up to date on that as it develops. Then the SEC announced that they were going to get $30 million from Kraken a couple of weeks ago because Kraken was offering their customers staking services. And now that's been determined to be a quote unquote security for that, whatever reason. Yep. Uh, and then they I uh, thought it was a service that they were offering. It sounded to me like a service and not a sure product, did. but OK. Yep. And then uh, the SEC now going after Paxos and Binance. Uh, for having a stable coin called oh, Binance right, yeah. USD, and they basically have been told by the their partners in the New York regulatory, whatever the hell they're called, the you know, Department of Regulation or Finance Rate Financial Regulation, uh, has gone after them and has said you must halt uh, issuing any further Binance USD. So there will never be more Binance USD issued, uh, at least if it's done within the United States. And at this point, I believe there was also further news that Binance is going to uh, end their partnership with Paxos. Uh, wow. At this point, Binance is also considering withdrawing from the United States entirely. I've always thought it was weird that Binance and Paxos were like partnered together anyway because they, they're they competitors, aren't they? They are as far as being a Bitcoin exchange. Okay. But Paxos is kind of a real basic exchange. They only have like... Bitcoin, Bitcoin right. Cash, and Litecoin. So they're not really a serious competitor to uh, to Binance. Binance is a huge international the exchange in yeah. the world, right? Yeah, and they've got you know zillions of of different types of coins on there. So anyway, that's kind of just to keep keep you up to date here with what's been just going on in the last few weeks with the SEC and their ongoing attacks. This story is about Chase, uh, one of the biggest banks in the United States, if not the entire world. Uh, and what are they up to as far as targeting cryptocurrency users, Arya? Well, it starts out by talking about Chase, but it's certainly not limited to that at all. It's much more... Oh, really? It's much broader what uh, this article is about. It's, about. it's from Bitcoin Magazine. And just in case we needed a reminder, banks are showing us that they can and will gatekeep their customers' money to prevent them from engaging with Bitcoin. Mm. This could be, this should be a call to action for Bitcoiners. I've always hated that term, Bitcoiner, but whatever. Or anyone else who wants to maintain control over their finances to move toward more proactive use of permissionless Bitcoin tools and practices. Ever since Jamie Dimon decried Bitcoin as a hyped-up fraud and a pet rock, I, that's the author here, have found myself unable to purchase Bitcoin using my Chase debit card on Cash App. And I'm not the only one. If you've been following Bitcoin Twitter recently, you may have seen Elena Joy tweet about her experience with the same. And they do have a tweet here where she says, Chase Bank just blocked me from buying Bitcoin through Cash App. Please wow. listen to the recording I included in this post where the fraud representative explains what's going on. In both of our cases, it's the bank preventing Bitcoin purchases and blocking inbound fiat transfers to Cash App hmm. for customers that his, it has associated with Bitcoin. So if how would they even... So they're just blocking inbounds to Cash App because Cash App, for listeners that don't know... I think they mean outbound as well to, to Cash App. They, they said inbound, but I think it would be outbound money going to Cash App, right? Meaning inbound to Cash App, outbound from the bank. So, yeah. uh, but what this means for listeners that don't know, Cash App is an app that is like PayPal. I, I mean, I probably don't have to explain it because last I saw, Cash App was one of the most popular free 
financial apps on the planet. It's fantastic. But, I wish they hadn't banned me for life. <laughs> right. Uh, but anyway, Cash App, you know, makes it relatively simple, like PayPal. You connect a bank account, uh, and then you can withdraw funds from your bank account into your Cash App balance. You can use it to pay other Cash App users from your dollar balance. And that's the primary purpose of Cash App. But a few years ago, maybe several years ago at this point, Cash App added a Bitcoin purchasing option. And this is Inside because app. Jack Dorsey, I believe it was. No, Jack Dorsey's the Twitter guy. No, he's, he? he's the Cash App guy. Okay. He's, he's, he runs Square. Who's he the, was the Twitter guy. Okay. Well, Jack Dorsey is a Bitcoin fan. Correct. I think he's a Bitcoin maximalist. maximalist. I'm not 100% sure, yeah. but he, he likes Bitcoin. He recognizes right. why it's valuable and what it's supposed to be used for, and they added it. To Cash App, miraculously. Yeah, and they made it easy. Uh, you know, they made it relatively simple to purchase Bitcoin. They ultimately did allow people to withdraw the Bitcoin, as I understand it, from the Cash App yep. uh, to their own Bitcoin wallets. Although there's some hoops, I believe, that you have to jump in order to do that. But to the to the extent that they did make Bitcoin more accessible to the average person, they did a successful job at that. And so kudos to them for that. I remember when they first uh, they first turned it on, they actually had like a neat little introductory thing that you could go through to kind of learn the basics about bitcoin it was cool it was very nicely animated like really pretty graphics and and they did a really nice job of it so kudos to them for that but my point here is when you are withdrawing from your bank account to cash app i don't think it's going to i don't think it's going to tell the bank this is for bitcoin you just no, withdraw it you transfer to cash app and, and then, then use, buy the bitcoin yeah. right so they don't know that you're buying bitcoin with this well, so they're just banning people from using money uh, it, on cash app it doesn't seem so that uh, they seem to have some sort of way of knowing and i don't know what that way is but uh, they do seem to know that the person was attempting or wanted to buy Bitcoin with the money. Maybe they had some sort of history with Bitcoin. I don't that know. That could be. Yeah, because I thought when you first told me about this story, the way you made it sound was that they were targeting Bitcoiners specifically, like that they knew that this person was a Bitcoiner, that they had some information that this well, individual. That's, that's probably true with some of them, mm-hmm. right? Like if you're regularly withdrawing money to Cash App or whatever, and they look on your Twitter and they see you talking about Bitcoin, that That's all would, they need. Yeah, yeah, that would suggest it's enough for them. Right. In both of our cases, it's the bank preventing Bitcoin uh, purchases, mm-hmm. all under the guise of fraud protection. Or guys? Guys. Yeah. No, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Chase still allows ACH Bitcoin purchases, and fiat on Cash App can be used for investing in stocks. So... Chase still allows ACH Bitcoin purchases. Presumably they mean through an exchange that facilitates that, like Coinbase or whatever. It doesn't say exactly what Mm -hmm. they mean. And fiat on Cash App can still be used for investing in stocks. I didn't know that. Uh, Yeah, it's a newer thing, I think, on Cash App is a stock buying option. Yeah, something similar to what Robinhood used to do, Mm -hmm. I suppose. I think they're competing with Robinhood. Uh, saving or using cash apps on debit card, not just Bitcoin. So right. they're block if you're associated with Bitcoin, they're blocking your access to cash app entirely, it would seem. Because they it's don't crazy. know whether you're sending the money there to buy stocks or right. use the debit card or whatever. And having used the cash app debit card, it was actually pretty convenient itself. It was really yeah, easy it's to find debit card. Yeah. Also, no one seems to know exactly when this became Chase's policy. The fraud representative I spoke with wasn't sure and couldn't point to any documentation, but reasoned that the rule has been in place since early last year. What's the rule? It, it, they, didn't, they couldn't point to any yeah. particular rule. <laughs> he just said, it's been in place, man. Listen, we're doing this. We don't know why we're doing it, but we are doing it. I'm sure of that. 
Yet murkier still, loose chatter can be found on Reddit about this issue going back to at least April of 2021, Mm -hmm. a little over a month after the Crypto 6 raid. Mm. However, given that I and so many others were definitely buying Bitcoin via Chase Debit throughout 2021 and 2022, I'd wager that this policy... Oh, okay, sorry. I now just made the connection. So they were trying to use their debit card to load onto uh, Cash App... When he was saying that ACH still works, he's saying you can still use the ACH method to load money onto Cash App. So it sounds like what he's saying is is that Chase is only blocking debit card loads, meaning that okay. like on Cash App... Well, this may be because of Visa and MasterCard then, rather than because of mm, Chase. Yeah, that's also a possibility. Because... I- the the yeah it would be up to Visa or Mastercard mm-hmm. to block this sort of thing I would I imagine. think you're right I mean, it could be either one but yeah, yeah that could explain why it would be blocked on the card but not blocked through ACH. So he's wagering that the policy has only been exercised haphazardly, selectively, arbitrarily, mm-hmm. and I would suggest that's probably still the case. You just happen to finally be one of the people who've been caught up yep. in it. Dark patterns abound, but for now, it seems like I just happen to be one of the unlucky ones. Mm. That said, there's nothing preventing this type of policy from being enforced broadly and in earnest by one or many or all banks. Well, there are uh, banks doing this, at least in the UK. I haven't heard a lot in the US about this yet, but there are banks like Santander Bank in the UK that have announced they will not process outgoing wire transfers to Bitcoin exchanges. Really? Yep. I didn't know you Santander cannot. was a UK bank. Uh, they're an international bank. I think okay. they're based in Spain, ultimately, but I could be wrong about that. They and are they European won't allow bank. people to send out wire transfers to that's crypto my understanding. Wow. Uh, at least in the UK. I'm not sure if that's a, you know international policy for them or just UK-based. If banks feel threatened by Bitcoin, we're going to see more of these kinds of practices going forward. Count on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's time to get proactive. We should expect this and prepare for it. So rather than railing against banks, I want to use this as a learning experience to reflect on the importance of permissionless non-KYC Bitcoin Mm -hmm. and the practical actions we can take to advance the cause. Number one, bank with backups and remember local options. Banking is a service, not servitude. Treat it as such. I wish he was a little more clear with that. It sounds nice, but I don't know what he means. Maintaining accounts at multiple banks may provide some limited fault tolerance against banks that take a hostile stance toward Bitcoin, assuming it does not become the industry norm. Mm -hmm. Further, smaller local and regional banks may be more willing to work with Bitcoin customers as individual accounts would be far more meaningful to them than they are to larger national banks, though this certainly should not be taken for granted. And these all runs with with their own problems. If If you have multiple bank accounts... And you're regularly buying Bitcoin. Honestly, man, it's just a matter of time before they close your account. Yeah, I, I don't know what it's like for the people buying uh, on a smaller basis. You know, back when uh, when we were doing our thing, we were buying a much larger volume of Bitcoin. And that's obviously going to be uh, directing bankers' attention to your account much quicker. Right. So I don't know if somebody who's buying, you know, 50 to $200 worth of Bitcoin every couple of weeks is really going to get on somebody's radar at a bank. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think their their advice is pretty is pretty solid. It wouldn't hurt to have a backup option in place, and and maybe local banks are friendlier to this. I have not seen any evidence of that being the case. But yeah, uh, same. But you are at at the very least more likely to get some level of an explanation from a local bank as opposed to a corporate bank, which usually will not explain to you anything about their policies or why they're not doing a thing or doing a thing or breaking up with you. 
Yeah, I never got any explanation from banks about any anything they were doing. Uh, we did. We actually sat down with the bank president of Savings Bank of Walpole, uh, me okay. and uh, Chris Reitman. When they closed one of my accounts, the bank actually included a, you know, they always give you a, a breakup letter. And with the corporate banks, it's very terse, very, you know, corporate. And yeah, you, all my ever said was we're closing your account or whatever. Yeah, we, usually it's we're closing your account based on our terms of service. We don't have to tell you why. Have a nice day. And that's it. Yeah. And then sometimes they'll give you a number you can call, and then you can talk to someone who won't actually tell you anything at all, so it's a complete right. waste of time. But in this case, it actually had the signature of the bank president and his office phone number on it. And wow. said, if you have any questions, give me a call. And so I was like, yeah, I got questions. So I called up, and I uh, asked if I could have a meeting with him, and uh, the secretary or whatever scheduled a meeting, and me and Chris put on suits, and you know, we went into the bank and, and sat down for over an hour and had a really interesting conversation with this guy. And he basically said that uh, it was his decision to close the account because he wasn't comfortable enough knowing enough about cryptocurrency. And as the bank president at a small bank, he has to sign off on all wire transfers. And so he said that he's afraid basically of the, the federal government and uh, you know what they might do to him. And he doesn't know enough about – like he has to be aware to some extent of what – destinations people's wires are going to or feel some level of comfortability with it right and he said he did not know enough about crypto we certainly were willing to answer any questions and we did answer a lot of his questions but obviously at that point my account was already closed the point wasn't to save the account or anything like that it was just to have an actual conversation with someone in banking about what the hell's going on uh, behind the scenes with these people so that was his explanation certainly useful and it, yeah. it would be useful if they more regularly provided explanations Number two, if you must use KYC Bitcoin services, do so thoughtfully. And this is know your customer Bitcoin services exchanges that require your ID and stuff like that. And in they order all to, do. Which ones don't? Well, like local Bitcoins. They're uh, closing. Uh, I know. But they, and they didn't they, they didn't. they weren't closed at the time this article was written. And local Bitcoins uh, started requiring know your customer in 2017. So there's no... There's no non-know your customer. Yeah, okay. there's no non-identified uh, well, like Maybe Agora Desk may still have that as an option. I hope they do. And otherwise, you'd have to do so, you know, out there. And this article gets into it a bit in the real world, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of looking online, you wouldn't go through an exchange as so much as you would go through sort of a a a system of people that you know who might have Bitcoin to sell you. Man, it's getting harder and harder out there. It is, man. It's not good. For Cash App and services like it, considering first lo- consider first loading in fiat and making buys out of the app's native cash balance instead of purchasing directly through a linked, linked bank account where information is shared with the bank that allows it to flag the transaction for being related to Bitcoin. So you were absolutely oh, right. Oh, okay. He had his debit card with his bank tied to Cash App, and so he was the- trying to directly buy from it instead of transferring the money to Cash App oh, first. Oh, okay. So the debit card must have had some sort of... Yeah. Some sort of data, metadata or whatever, that, that transaction where it mentioned Bitcoin and the, the bank flagged it. Yeah. I mean, that, that's that's silly on that's, this person's part. Yeah. It, it's Lazy. shocking that someone who's a writer for Bitcoin magazine could make such a silly Oh, you don't know goof. until you know. I mean, it, but it, you, but that's like, it might have worked before and then all of a sudden stopped working. Whether it worked or not, it's advertising to the bank mm-hmm. the enemy yeah. that you're buying Bitcoin. Right. And I don't understand. It's not going to work with Chase. Yeah. If it works now, it isn't going to work forever. I don't understand why he was even bothering to do it this way in the first place. Mm-hmm. Anyway, taking this small step may help to avoid gatekeeping and can provide some minor privacy 
from the bank at least. And yeah, yeah that's okay. I, I don't understand why he wouldn't just default to that, but okay. Number three, become comfortable with non-KYC Bitcoin exchanges. So evidently they do exist. Just as many pre-coiners. No, they don't. Well, he seems to suggest they do. And there's he, only the exchanges. Even links some. There's only the exchanges that you can com, uh, convert crypto to crypto. Maybe. Oh, I don't know what non-KYC exchanges allow you to actually send a wire transfer in. Well, he's got BISC, B-I-S-K. Uh, there's That's a decentralized exchange. RoboSats. And that one I've never heard Huddle, of. Huddle, Huddle. Okay. I think Huddle Huddle is a local Bitcoins competitor, if I recall correctly. The one, the middle one I'm not familiar with. And BISC is uh, the first kind of quote unquote decentralized exchange. BISC. Um, but that's crypto to crypto. No, they actually do have a category there for, at least as of the last time I used it, okay. which was like three years ago. Uh, the category that they have there on BISC was a uh, cash deposit category. And I was scared to death. To use this as somebody who was a you know a, a regular Bitcoin seller on local Bitcoins because there was no, uh, if I recall correctly, I looked into it. Number one, there was very poor volume. There was hardly anyone using it at the time. So I, sure. I don't know if that's if that's gotten better or not. Like the whole volume of the entire exchange was very low, and the category of buying with cash was even lower. Like hardly any. I can imagine hardly any offers. Hardly anybody was using it. But um, the real problem with that exchange was that there was there was no uh because it's decentralized so there's no central provider there was no escrow and that means it is like wide open to to scam artists because at least with the local bitcoins you have the escrow service of local bitcoins or agora desk or whatever it is we're talking about here right. where there is still a centralized provider they hold the bitcoin into escrow and if one side or the other is acting suspicious in some way you can flag the transaction it goes to the administrator and then they come in and they look at the evidence and they say oh yep suspicious reverse the transaction or, or whatever you have a third party who can come in and make a decision I didn't see anything like that with uh, with BISC when I looked at it a few years ago. It, it just seemed like this was total scam playground, basically. It seemed I can really imagine. dangerous. And as a seller, that's a really interesting take. I would expect the buyer to be more suspicious than any, anyone because mm-hmm. the seller hasn't proved that they have the Bitcoin at that point. Yeah, that's probably true as well. Yeah. I don't know. It just, so I never actually those. tried it. It just looked really uh, yeah. shifty to me. But they are allegedly permissionless channels. I'm not recommending I'd stay them. Hell, I'd I, stay the hell away from BISC if I were a new a new buyer. Yeah, I've never used any of them. I can't vouch for them. But permissionless Bitcoin is certainly a good thing. For anyone just getting started, BTC Sessions has excellent video tutorial content on all three, which are linked. And they are linked here to Bitcoin Magazine. I can't link it to you here. Well, I can put it on our social. So that, check that okay. out at social.freetalklive.com. There's more about this coming up, including more ways that you should be familiarizing yourself with Bitcoin, including really good advice, finding someone who wants to pay you to do something in In Bitcoin. Bitcoin, That's a good way to get it. It is. No doubt about it. Of course, the best way to do that if you're a libertarian would be to move here to New Hampshire, where you can actually find like homeowners who will hire you to do a, you know, mow their lawn or something like that, right? Like you can get paid uh, in Bitcoin or shovel their driveway or something like that. Uh, the number is 603-283-6160. Having that community of Bitcoin users is going to become more important than ever, I think. It's Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live. You join the show here. You know, whatever you want. 
number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Ian and Aria here. You can join us online, of course, anytime you want. Just head over to freetalklive.com and enjoy the features that we have for you. That's once again, freetalklive.com. If you appreciate the work that we do here and you want to help support Free Talk Live, you can join Adam, who is a Free Talk Live silver level supporter of our AMPS program. AMPS stands for Advertise, Market, Promote, and Support. It is a way for you to directly support what we do here. And as I said uh, this year, since we have basically have no more paid advertisers on Free Talk Live, uh, I would be happy to never have another one if we can get enough of our listeners to directly support what we do, and then that would be absolutely great. I think that would be just wonderful. We're not quite there yet, but we've got over 130 people supporting the AMPS program now, and that's up from like 100 just a couple months ago. So thank you to everybody uh, that has signed up, including our Silver Amp, Adam. Silver is 5 bucks a month. That's all we ask for, and it helps us advertise, market, promote, and support our mission here on Free Talk Live to talk about the ideas of liberty, peace, crypto, uh, freedom seven nights a week here on free talk live so if you appreciate the work that we do and you want to help support us go to amps.freetalklive.com that's amps.freetalklive.com uh we we're talking about this crypto crackdown that continues to worsen in not just the field of banking but also the cryptocurrency industry in general exchanges are being targeted by the sec we're seeing the sec going after uh, the uh, crypto development community out there, basically making the United States one of the least friendly countries, basically making the U.S. almost as bad as China as far as being unfriendly towards cryptocurrency and the business and the industry of cryptocurrency. Yeah, it just takes a very different approach to it where China just outright bans it right. and you know does the... The obviously Chinese thing, the American government chooses this more fascist approach of just controlling all of the avenues into the Bitcoin industry. Yep. And now they're telling people uh, they're denying or declining people's uh, debit card charges at big banks like Chase. And you, I think, are onto something, Aria, where it may not actually be Chase that's doing it as much as it is Visa or MasterCard. The people that are, you know, their logos are on the debit cards. The, the people that are you know providing that service. Well, we've heard about this in the past with uh, some of them, haven't we? I, I seem to think so. Well, we know that Visa and MasterCard are critical towards uh, towards cryptocurrency. Historically, they have been. They, well, um, yeah, as a pay, as I mean, uh, Bitcoin competes with a lot of banking industry things, but as far as direct, obvious competitors. Bitcoin and Visa, Master Bitcoin's an obvious competitor to debit cards. It is, which is probably one reason why MasterCard invested in the digital currency group, which then subsequently paid the Bitcoin programmers to essentially cripple Bitcoin as a payments platform. Yeah. Uh, and then Visa, I think there's been some announcements that they want to in- integrate crypto or whatever and, and allow that to be used as payments. I don't know if that's ever become any kind of thing. So, like, on one hand, they talk about how they're interested in the technology, no, but on the other hand, they act to try to restrict it. Yeah, they, they want to restrict it. They're hoping that the technology dies and then the, yeah. just sort of fades away and they never have to actually do anything about it. And I don't know how to explain this to them. It's not dying. It hasn't died. It's not going to die. No, it's not going to die, but it is under severe restrictions. Library, uh, which is a company that has been targeted by the SEC, and the SEC defeated them in a uh, district court battle that has lasted for years here in New Hampshire, the federal court level. 
Uh, they have not yet been completely obliterated. They still are able to post to their Twitter account. And they posted earlier today. Will they lose their Twitter account or would that just sort of? What? I suspect the Twitter account will continue. They could okay. probably just hand that over to you know somebody else. That's not the company, right? Right. Like it's just but somebody it's a company asset. Yeah, yeah, probably not one that's worth any money, but no, I don't think it's worth. I mean, it probably isn't worth that much. Although they do have uh, 110,000 followers, that's, that's not terrible. But uh, they tweeted this today. I think it's relevant to the conversation that we're having here. They said, "How can a normal person easily get $100 worth of cryptocurrency anonymously today?" in person or online. When crypto answers this, it takes over the world. If it can't and it hasn't, it will remain niche. So really good, really good sentiment. And of course this was the the whole reason that local bitcoins and other cryptocurrency exchanges existed because right. it, it's important to provide these avenues for people to take money and to turn it into cryptocurrency in a way that the government can't track, in the way that banks can't track and can't keep an eye on and can't prevent, to provide them with a way of directly controlling their own financial freedom without having to ask permission and without having to jump through any hoops. And certainly, when when I sold Bitcoin, I got, you know, I identified people and I asked to see their ID, not for $20 worth of Bitcoin or whatever, mm-hmm. but if they wanted, you know, $100, yeah, sorry, dude, I got to see your ID, but... I'm not turning that information over to banks. I'm not turning that information over to governments. I'm just... Well, not purposely. Yeah. I'm just (laughs) protecting myself and my own interests here, right? Mm -hmm. And that's sort of what the banks are doing too, but they're protecting their own interests from your freedom. They're not protecting their own interests from from scammers out there or not, not protecting themselves from scammers out there. They're protecting themselves from Bitcoin. And that's the fundamental difference. Yeah. Um, was there more from your story that you wanted to share tonight from Bitcoin Magazine about these people who are being restricted from uh, making purchases through their Chase Bank debit cards? There's a little more worth saying, All I right, think. Let's hear it. So be flexible and creative with peer-to-peer payment methods. And this is good advice, but it's not going to solve the Bitcoin problem. Cash App, Zelle, PayPal, Venmo, Apple Cash, Revolut, etc., these services that most users seem to be transacting with on no KYC exchanges, they would all become eager and active agents of financial gatekeeping in any truly antagonistic anti-privacy environment, even when used in a peer-to-peer fashion. So let's let's make let's be clear yeah. here: if you're using any of those applications, you are risking having uh, to buy from another individual. You, you can buy for, through Cash App yeah. all day and night through their own official Bitcoin purchasing, but if you use that to send to someone to buy Bitcoin with and Cash App. Or Zenmo or Venmo or Zelle or whatever, get wind of that, you're going to lose your access to those services forever. Yes, you will. Uh, speaking as one of those yep. people who has been banned yep. from almost all of these services, uh, Cash App, Zelle, PayPal, Venmo, all of those have banned me for life. Yep. And it was all for selling indiv- selling Bitcoin, buying and selling Bitcoin individually from one person to yep. another. As soon as they catch wind of it, you won't have a second chance. Yep. It'll just be, you're, you're done. They're yep. going to just cancel your account. That's why I specifically said in the instruction notes, do not put anything about Bitcoin in the payment notes. And yep. people still and would. Still do. Right? And it's not because, you know, I'm, I'm ashamed of Bitcoin or because there's anything illegal about it. It's because, no, the Venmo and Cash App, they just didn't like it. Yeah, and it, maybe that, and that's sure, that was the wrong way of going about doing things. But the problem has to be solved for Bitcoin people. Right. It's got to be solved. It's going to have to end up being person to person sales like the old days of local bitcoins. And I know which that, they got rid of. 
Well, the Bitcoins ago. got rid of it, but I, I and uh, the last I recall, Agora Desk still had that option. I, I've never used it personally. Well, it's risky. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know if it's as risky as some of the other options. I mean, as long as you're, you're buying from a, a uh, seller that's got a good reputation, you, there's no risk to the buyer in that case. There may be a risk to the seller of possibly being robbed uh, in person by someone. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if you're if you're meeting in a public location where there's, you know, other people around or whatever, I think it's probably a pretty safe thing to do. I recall Agoradesk did still have the local purchase option where you could indicate where your physical location was and then on your sale you know your sale ad you could say you know i want to meet you at mcdonald's or or whatever yeah so that may be what this has to come down to uh you know because you can't trust these online methods and the government's going to be cracking down this may be the way it has to go in the future where people are just having to once again meet in person with other human beings but even then they're still going to be trying to crack down you know they're going to start putting undercover agents in there and they're going to start to try well, that's to do... why bi- local bitcoins got rid yeah. of the person-to-person transactions that's how i understand it. no no they got rid of it because the government was uh was cracking oh. down on them always remember and this is surprising that there are other payment options such as gift cards the original digital bearer items that... also loaded with scam artists yes Just... that's why i'm surprised to see this even yeah. mentioned as a as a valid approach for acquiring Bitcoin. But yeah, I guess so. If it's you have a valid a 200... approach, but it's also loaded with scam artists. Yeah. I mean, if you have a valid, you know, $500 iTunes gift card or whatever, and mm-hmm. you want to buy $500 worth of Bitcoin and there's someone who can facilitate that, then sure, I, I could see it. But man, that area is definitely filled with fraud and. Yeah. I don't know if the enter at your own risk. Yeah, I don't know if the sellers are. I would. I'd have to think about how a seller could could run fraud on on that. But I know that the victims, the buyers, in a lot of cases, are victimized. Is are are people who are being victimized by like romance scammers. So romance yeah. scammers will tell their uh, their victims to go out and buy them these gift cards, and then they go online and then they use the gift cards purchased by the romance scam victims to buy from legitimate Bitcoin sellers who, of course, have no idea that they're buying gift cards that were bought through, the, you know, acquired through a scam. Uh, yeah, I will say unequivocally, when I was selling Bitcoin to someone said, hey, look, I don't have the cash right now, but can I can I give you a $300 iTunes gift card instead? My answer would be, no, no, no you cannot. Yeah. Even if I was interested in iTunes, no, mm-hmm. that that's rife with scams and I don't want any part in it. Yeah. Number five, find your local Bitcoin community. This is probably the most important. And as you mentioned this, I was going to the break a little while ago, why New Hampshire is so important. Mm-hmm. In the steadily advancing shadow war on all things permissionless, private, and peer-to-peer, this is our best defense. Don't just wait until you need other crypto people to get to know other crypto people. To paraphrase Texas Slim, shake your local Bitcoiner's hand. Get to know if you people. Have them. Yeah. Get to know people and never underestimate the power of simply asking around. There could be real live Bitcoiners near you looking to sell some coin and happy to see it go to someone else rather than to a bunch of lettuce-handed fiat speculators on some faceless centralized Ponzi casino exchange. (laughs) What's more, let folks know your skills, talents, and expertise. You may be surprised to find an interested market that pays in Bitcoin. And that's probably yes. one of the better ways of doing it. Also, it wasn't until a few weeks ago when someone pointed out to me, but crypto mining is your other mm-hmm. yeah. final, almost always guaranteed to be successful avenue of 
earning non-KYC cryptocurrency. That's a great point. Yeah, if you can, if you have the technical chops to do crypto mining, uh, which does require some level of technical chops and some hardware and some some hardware. Although, if you're doing something like uh, Monero, you don't need to have the craziest hardware, as I as I understand. It. Although you may not get that much out of it. Yeah, but it's basically a way to turn your power bill into cryptocurrency, and the power company has no idea that you're doing it. So it's pretty much off the you know the as far as KYC and anybody knowing that you've acquired the the Bitcoin or or the Monero or whatever it is you decide to mine, uh, basically you're the only one who knows that it's happening. So that is, as you say, something they cannot take away, and uh, that's. An I'm option. sure they'll try to find a way. They would have a really tough time with that. Yeah. I mean, barring shutting off your electricity, they you know wouldn't be able to really know. Like in the same way that they don't know if you're growing marijuana uh, per se, except having to fly a. a camera you know flare camera uh, what they call it infrared camera over your house to see if you've got a, a huge row of lights and a, and a grow room set up the the actual do they really do that they do that yeah the actual use are, of the, power, how are they allowed they do that? that that seems so unconstitutional well i don't know if it's unconstitutional or not i mean uh, essentially they're they're looking at heat signatures off your home right that's inside of your home though right uh, heat comes through your roof I guess. That uh, seems unlawful, though. Yeah, I don't know. if that, I suspect that's been challenged. I can't say for sure I know a whole lot about the history well, of the Well, it's the government, and I have no doubt the Supreme Court will find some way of saying, oh, yeah, this is totally fine. You, 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 don't, you don't have a right to not have the government watch you yeah. on. I mean, your body heat probably, to some extent, is projected on inside of your house as well, and they probably could if it's instead of enough monitor you walking around through your house. Yeah, as long as you're not setting up, like, a hundred crypto miners you're probably not going to trip any kind of alert system at the power company or whatever you you know if your power bill's going up 20 percent it's not going to be a big deal but if it goes up 200 percent then maybe you'll attract some attention but they're not looking there you know they're not look the feds or the the cops or whatever they're not looking for crypto miners yet. well there's absolutely not nothing yet. illegal or even shady about crypto mining no i think they would have a really tough time with that although I, that was my prediction is that the sec may go after crypto miners next if the sec can get away with claiming that staking is somehow a quote-unquote security and for listeners that don't know staking is sort of the other alternative to doing crypto mining uh, i've always been a big fan of proof of stake I mean, it, some people hate it. Some people think it's fine. Uh, some people are big fans of it. I don't really care. I think it's I think it's fine, right? Like, it, yeah. is it really worth doing? Uh, I, I don't know. Some people want to do it. Fine. I, uh, anyway, my, the point about it is, if they can say that it is a security, then why can't they say mining is a security, too? I don't know. Because they, they could just seem... They probably same, will. Right. It just seems like they're just saying everything's a security. If they can say that a stable coin is a security... A stablecoin that doesn't specifically doesn't change in value. Correct. The point of the stablecoin is that it stays "quote unquote" stable. In that one U.S. dollar stablecoin is always worth one U.S. dollar in theory. Uh, you know there can be slight variations like one point zero zero zero. Sometimes they just collapse, like uh, Terra. Terra did. Yeah, but if they can get away with that and say that Binance USD which is with the third most popular stablecoin on the planet, is a quote-unquote security, then they can say anything is a security, and then therefore they can say crypto mining 
is a security because you're getting into it knowing you're going to bring more money in or something like that. And so therefore, it's a security and you didn't register with the SEC. So now we're going to ruin you financially or possibly put you in prison because the SEC can bring criminal charges from what I understand as well. They just haven't been. They've been going after companies for the money. That's nice and evil of them simultaneously, I guess. So it's ugly. It is really ugly out there. You know, since you mentioned uh, the, what was it, Terra, mm-hmm. UST, which was for a time actually, I think, bigger than Binance USD. Yeah, they were doing really well for a while, right right up until they weren't. And, I mean, it went downhill quickly with Terra. Yeah, it was a disaster uh, where this the world's most popular, what they call decentralized or algorithmic stablecoin, meaning that... UST was not actually backed by dollars. It was backed by its own token, which was called Luna. And I don't want to get into how it ostensibly worked, because ultimately it didn't work. Uh, it got crushed it by... It did for a time. It did for a few years. And then what apparently happened, the story behind the scenes, uh, allegedly, was that the guy from FTX, SBF, that guy that was running FTX, he destroyed UST. He used his customers' funds against their will right like without their permission and did some sort of crazy i don't know if it's like buying whatever he bought or i don't know how all that works right like i'm not a financial expert i didn't follow it closely to see exactly the the guts of it but it seems fairly well accepted in the industry that sbf destroyed Terra, and he did it on purpose and he probably did it at the behest of his his handlers people in the banking system gary gensler from the uh the sec he probably did this to take down the algorithmic stablecoin that was having tremendous success. And unfortunately, the algorithm did not keep it afloat. It did go through uh, what they call a death spiral, and it went down to where the US, uh, UST, it's still out there. Like, you just can't get rid of the, the coin. It's still there. Right. It's worth like three cents today. That's higher of, than I would have expected, honestly. I think it's gone down as low as like less than a cent, and it's since come back to three or something the last time I looked. Well, that's, I mean, that's good, There's I guess. Somebody, I, I don't know whether it was a joke or they were serious, they were saying that they should uh, re-denominate UST, because they've changed the name of it. It's now USTC. Because when Luna died, they kind of came out with the next Luna. So there's a Luna 2 now. There's a Terra. Oh, is there? Is yeah, there there's another this? Luna. And uh, so they, they renamed the original Luna to L-U-N-C, as in Luna Classic. And then they took UST and they added a C to the end of that. So somebody said they should make yeah. USTC US Terra cent and redenominate it to one cent instead of a dollar. I don't know if it's ever going to happen, but it, would it be sounds a, appropriate. It would be interesting to see if it, you know could so what happened recently this was last week do kwan is the founder of luna this is the programmer okay. this is the creator of luna and luna still exists but now they're on 2.0 i guess correct yeah but there's no stable coin associated with 2.0 so luna they're is not just trying again not yet maybe they will i hope they will i mean they had a good idea and now we know some problems that the idea had i yeah i really kind of hope they would too even though obviously it's gonna have it's gonna have a tough road to climb if if they do that uh, but the world needs a de- decentralized stablecoin now more more than it ever has. But anyway, they they're now going after this guy. The SEC has announced that they are charging Terraform Labs and its CEO Do Kwan with fraud, alleging they orchestrated a multi-billion-dollar quote-unquote crypto asset securities fraud. This is you know almost a year 
since the entire crash of uh, of UST. So a little late to the party here, SEC, but again, just showing that they're going after stable coins in as many forms as they possibly can, even those that are completely uh, gone. Quan and Terraform allegedly schemed from April of 2018 until the collapse of, of Terra USD, known as UST, and its sister coin Luna in May of 2022 to raise billions from investors through offer and sale of a, quote, interconnected suite of crypto asset securities, including securities-based swaps that mirrored U.S. equities and, most famously, the so-called algorithmic stablecoin Terra USD. The company advertised it as a yield-bearing coin, offering to pay interest of up to 20%, which should have been, like, a heads-up for people. Like, how can they do this? How can a 20% interest rate be sustainable? It wasn't. Uh, like many stablecoins... Yeah, what... I don't understand. Were they loaning them out? Was they in, were okay. So I mean, that was sort of the alleged reason why it could be done, but it still seemed too good to be true. Yeah, twenty percent you know? is pretty high. I mean, that wasn't too disproportionate to some of the interest rates that we saw in the cryptocurrency lending industry right at the beginning of DeFi, that's decentralized finance and other sophisticated finance, other crypto loaning communities, but. 12%, 10% were what you'd more frequently see. Uh, stable coins were always higher for whatever reason than like on the, on the interest Bitcoin. rates. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're right. But I don't think I ever saw any other get close to 20%. The SEC alleges that Quan marketed the assets, including uh, as a profit bearing securities, quote unquote, repeatedly claiming the tokens would increase in value. SEC's enforcement director said in a statement, quote, Today's action not only holds the defendants accountable for their roles in terrorist collapse, which devastated both retail and institutional investors and sent shockwaves through the crypto markets, but once again highlights that we look to the economic realities of an offering, not the labels put on it, he said. And uh, by the way, Joe Kwan's whereabouts are currently unknown, but the Terra co-founder was recently believed to be in Serbia, according to South Korean intelligence Kwan is wanted in South Korea for his involvement in the collapse of Terra USD. So, dude's on the run. Uh, Jesus Christ! He all he tried to do was create a product for people to use, yeah, and it failed. But but not because he wanted it to. Yeah, I don't believe that this man was scamming anyone. No, uh, I don't believe that for a moment. Uh, he truly did believe in this thing. It did work for a time, and then someone with the economic weight to crush this thing. SBF from the FTX exchange ostensibly was able to successfully destroy this thing. And yet he is not being blamed. But that just highlights, you know, problems in the technology, in the algorithm that could be fixed. Right. And you know, when you're getting into cryptocurrency, that you're taking a risk. You know that when you get into something called an algorithmic stablecoin, that there's a chance that the algorithm isn't going to work, that some sort of bug is in the programming or they didn't foresee a certain set of circumstances that would cause this thing to fail. And you un- you should understand that. And I understand there's some people out there that may have been misled by others in the industry into buying a thing, but this guy was never dishonest in my seeing of the things that he said no. that of what you're getting into. And I you saw know? something similar happen to this with Heli- happened like this with helium, which was H E L E U M, I think, where it was this algorithm that would automatically use your uphold account to transfer money across different fiats and 
cryptocurrencies in order to make you a profit, right? If if Hopefully. Litecoin was down, it would buy Litecoin. If Litecoin was up, it would you know sell it and get you back into USD or whatever. That's mm-hmm. the basic idea of it. And it would do this automatically. However, Bitcoin gold began going down, and the algorithm said, oh, it's going down. Buy it. And oh, it no. kept going down. And the algorithm said, buy more oh, and God. buy more and buy more. And pe- everyone's... Who used it there? All their uphold money was just sunk into Bitcoin gold, which just kept, just kept going, going down. down. Oh, Tragic. Man. But that was the algorithm doing exactly what the algorithm was told to do. So, hey, improved the algorithm, and that never happened again. Didn't they go out of business? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, there's it's a, it's a risky Wild West world, and we don't need the government to step in and try to put safety rails on it for us. More coming up. Talk Live. Free Talk Live. Uh, kicking off the third hour here. Phones are open if you want to join the show. You can take control of the airwaves here. Bring up anything that's on your mind here tonight. It's Ian. And Aria. The number for you is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Uh, we've been talking about the ongoing crackdown against cryptocurrency on various different levels in uh, the federal government. The SEC seems to be one of the primary offenders going after various different uh, types of people, going after designers like uh, library, people that are creating new technologies in the cryptocurrency area. And that's LBRY, by the way. You should check out their case if you don't know anything about it. It's uh, absolutely outrageous what has happened to them. Uh, they're going after stable coins. They're going after uh, exchanges. We saw them go after the Kraken exchange a couple of weeks ago and get a $30 million payout from Kraken because Kraken just didn't want to fight in court and possibly lose millions and millions more, maybe even lose their entire business. It's crazy that they can even do that. Like, okay, yeah, yeah here's $30 million. Now leave us alone. Yeah, well, they also agreed to shut down their uh, their staking uh, uh. service as well. So, uh, got an update as well on uh, the latest from the SEC. We know they're going after stablecoins. We just talked about them filing a uh, what sounds like criminal charges against Do Kwon, who is the South Korean guy who doesn't live in the United States. Uh, but uh, yeah, so why is he why is he subject to U.S. law? Because the U.S. apparently can just reach into any political jurisdiction they want to, with the exception of maybe Russia. Uh, and maybe a handful of other countries around the world, but uh, basically pluck anybody they want out from those places and put them in a U.S. prison. That's what it seems like, at the, least. The U.S. government would certainly like it to be that way. Yeah, in the case of Do Kwan, he is actually on the run from South Korea, so the South Korean government does not have him in their possession uh, at the moment. Every now and then he'll pop up on Twitter and, and make posts, so it's like he hasn't gone completely silent um, which is risky, I think, on on his part. But well, I mean, it's interesting to watch VPNs and stuff. Yeah. I'm I'm sure there's a way. Uh, so we're gonna go to your calls here and your thoughts. But then a, another update here on the latest from the SEC and what other shenanigans they're up to against the the crypto world. But Sarah is in New Mexico. Go ahead, Sarah. Oh yes. Uh, you're. Are you still out? I mean, you're pretty. You're sounding pretty chipper for looking at 25 years in jail. In oh, it's only 20 I mean, years. <laughs> it's only the next two oh decades my of my life. Yeah. Oh, you're not. You're not stressed at all. I mean, you're oh no, no, it, it does keep me up at night and uh, on some nights. 
it is uh, difficult to to get to sleep with all the thoughts that uh, that go through my head but i mean it doesn't do me any good to be all depressed about it or whatever i got to keep on doing what i can do uh, to yep. be here on the outside and and try to help my friends and family and you know do whatever i can so no i i don't um i try not to let it get to me and it's not over yet like there's still a sentencing to go through and it could be bad could be not so bad. Who knows how that's gonna how that's gonna end up? I know it's it's stressing the hell out of you, Aria. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I I would really like to get my sentencing done. I yeah. mean, I would have liked to have gotten it done back in December. I mean, I wanted that hearing date, and yeah. then it got pushed back. And it's it, frustrating. Yeah. Whether it's a light at the end of the tunnel or not, it would at least be the end of the tunnel, and you would at least then know what you're dealing with. Right. Right now, it's we I mean, have no idea. It's it's borderline unbearable it, it puts your life in a holding pattern where you can't make long-term plans because i just don't know right. if i'm gonna be mm-hmm. here three months from now right, right. and mm-hmm. i have to, I, most people you know that's true in some philosophical sense well i might be dead tomorrow okay that's fine but i might literally not be here three months from now mm-hmm. i might be in a federal prison i can't plan anything that goes beyond what? that date because yep. I don't know what's going to happen. So my entire world, anything I would want to do, like get involved in relationships or whatever, is just permanently put on hold and left in this limbo where I'm white knuckling and trying not to go crazy because I have this thing hanging over me and no idea when it's going to end or what is going to actually happen when it comes to an yeah. end. And this has been our life for the last two years. Yeah. Oh, we wow. have not been able to do anything. This is this is typical, though, of anyone who's facing any kind of criminal uh, charges, you can't build something new under a circumstance. You, know, you can't open a new business or whatever. You can't take a new turn in life uh, because you don't know what's coming. The The axe can drop mm. on you at any moment, and uh, it's really frustrating. But why were you calling tonight, Sarah? Oh, I was going to let you guys know um, that, you know, the Albuquerque will be getting more speeding cameras here. Like, we're looking at 10 more. And the the county, they're going to be putting up speeding cameras too. So I just why should I care? Well, I know you don't care, but I care. And all the people that got their loved ones killed on the traffic fatalities, we care. Why should anyone not in Albuquerque care about these stupid traffic cameras in Albuquerque, Sarah? Yeah, it's really your worst topic, Sarah. Well, I mean, it might be the worst topic but i this is the best topic for me because i've been working well, on this forever and we're so call a radio station in albuquerque yeah. this is the most local of local news and it's a a terrible topic even for local news yeah try calling with something relevant to a national listening audience and thank you for the call let's go to this caller you're on free talk live what's your name yes uh this is jim in daytona beach jim you're on the air go um, ahead yeah i was curious isn't it the case uh, Ian, that you changed your name at some point to Ian Freeman. I sure did. Yep. So that wasn't always your name. Um, That's birth. correct. Well, just a thought, you know, and uh, a little bit, being a little bit lighthearted, but you may want to consider another name change, possibly Hunter Biden or <laughs> Sam Bakeman Freed, as far as being able to, uh, you know, get out of that sentence. 
It's coming. Well, that's fun, uh, but no, I don't think that would. Uh, I don't think that's going to fool the uh, the people that are prosecuting me. It usually, when you change your name, you uh, you know you still have evidence of the old names that you have, and you're still responsible for all of the things that you did under those old names. So just just being a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate yeah. where you're coming from on that, uh, but it doesn't work that way. Yeah. So so as frustrated as you are about uh, the government and and all that they're doing, is part of your frustration when you see how Sam Bankman-Fried has been treated compared to other people in the crypto world. Uh, you know, this, this whole idea of uneven justice to me uh, seems to be the most outrageous uh, part of the justice system. Well, I, uh, I, as I understand it, Sam Bankman-Fried is on home detention. Uh, he does have some, res- you know, restrictions on what he can and can't do. I did see an article that he possibly has violated his bail conditions uh, by using a VPN to watch a football game or something like that. So, you know, he may be seeing some sort of modification in his bail as a result of that. I mean, it's by no means a Sam Bankman f- uh, fraud on any kind of light bail conditions. He is he is out under pretty severe bail conditions with a $250 million uh, bond. So, I mean, I'm I'm not going to say that uh, you know things are easy for him. In but didn't uh, in the uh, Crypto Six get held for like many many weeks, where this guy only was held for a handful of days? He was held longer than I was. Well, that's true. You got released same day, Arya, and four out of the uh, six was were released on the same day. Myself and nobody were held. Nobody was held for six months. Uh, wrongfully in my opinion and well, unconstitutionally yeah. the judge ultimately said yeah and but he won't see any kind of uh, there's not going to be any kind of like restitution for that that's just right. that became part of his sentence and in my case i was held for 69 days and again not in the right in my opinion but it's what happened so uh yeah i guess you could look at it from from that perspective but certainly somebody who lines the pockets of politicians is likely going to get a different yeah, treatment Second largest donor to Biden, uh, multiple White House visits. His parents are former law professors at Stanford. Yes. Uh, There was an article this last week that uh, one of the individuals that staked the money for the bail is another Stanford law professor. They didn't actually stake money. As I understand it, or they, whatever. Uh, they put their, their house up. Or yeah, they put whatever. some they put sort of. Up. Yeah, they put something up that wasn't even near two hundred and fifty million dollars so there was there was I a was lot wondering of how they did that because um that's an impossible hurdle to jump through yeah right? so there was a lot of bs surrounding that that number and yeah. exactly how it got yeah they can posted. like come up with uh, a formula where you put a tiny amount down and then the rest is like a personal guarantee but uh it's another people are speculating that it's another epstein kind of a situation that bankman freed uh was not only running crypto but apparently he was a facilitator for money that was flowing from the U.S. to Ukraine, and there was also speculation that he may have been uh, sort of laundering money for secret ops of the U.S., and he may know a lot of things, and it would just be interesting to uh, see if he gets uh, virtually no sentence. Well, you I mean, know, if that was somebody tr- like, if that like was true, they did, wouldn't I have mean, gone after him. Well, yeah, but, but he may have gone so far off the reservation that they had no choice but to go after him. But the thing is that in the end, this guy is probably a Madoff level uh, criminal, and he should get that kind of time. If he, in fact, misdirected 
if the allegations are true. Billions uh, you in know, customer and, funds. Yeah, yeah. If he did that, then he should be probably, you know, I mean, compared to like what you guys did, which is like, you know, pennies on the dollar compared to what this guy did. I just but we weren't even imagine. accused of doing fraud. I yes. mean, there no, no, is us saying, of though, if, you to look at the, yeah. if you were to look at the dollars involved and say, oh, these guys, you know, sold X amount of Bitcoin. Well, that's like, you know, pennies compared to the money involved with uh, Bankman Freed. Yeah, but and, I would have uh, so much just, less issue with him if all he was accused of doing was selling large amounts of Bitcoin, billions oh, and billions of Bitcoin. I know. I'm just saying yeah. if there's even any way to make a comparison, I would be... Let's say that Ian gets 20 years. I don't think Bankman Freed's going to get 20 years. I doubt he's going to get 20 months. And Good chance he's going to get a plea deal. I mean, you know, he's he going to get disappeared if anything. He did say not guilty, but you know, it doesn't mean he's not going to take a, a plea later on when they come at him with right. uh, with more charges, which of course they did to us yep. uh, several months into it. Hey, thanks for the call, man. I do appreciate the All thoughts right. and the kind words, and thank you. I appreciate hearing from you. Uh, the number six zero three two eight three sixty one sixty. So, in related news, the SEC, according to CNBC, in an article that came out last week that i've been holding on to here they voted four to one to propose sweeping changes to federal regulations that would expand custody rules to include assets like crypto and require companies to gain or maintain registration with the sec in order to hold those customer assets the proposed amendments to federal custody so this rules would be hold on it's creating regulation for uh, non-custodial wallets, essentially? Uh, no, this would be for people who have custody over crypto assets. So this would be like exchanges, for instance? Yeah, non-custodial wallets, basically. Oh, sorry. Yeah, non-custodial... No, these would be custodial wallets. These would be... Uh, uh, okay, yes. These would be where the exchange has your crypto. They have your, your keys, basically. Uh, so the proposed amendments would st- would expand the scope to include any client assets under the custody of an investment advisor... Current federal regulations only include assets like funds or securities and require investment advisors like Fidelity or Merrill Lynch to hold those assets with a federal or state chartered uh, bank with a few highly specific exemptions. It would be the SEC's most overt effort to rein in even regulated crypto exchanges that have substantial institutional custody programs serving high net worth individuals and entities which custody investor assets like hedge funds or retirement investment managers. The move poses a fresh threat to crypto exchange custody programs as other federal regulators actively discourage custodians like banks from holding customer crypto assets. The amendments also come as the SEC aggressively is accelerating enforcement attempts. While the amendment doesn't specify... I mean, I'm sort of fine with this. If the U.S. government wants to you know, choke out all the custodial wallets and make it where everyone has to keep their own Bitcoin... That's a, that's a good thing in my opinion. But this opinion. would kill exchanges uh, if they don't register with the SEC. So I'm okay, not yeah, fine that, with it. Yeah, that's bad. Uh, while the amendment doesn't specify crypto companies, Gensler said in a separate statement that, quote, though some crypto trading and lending platforms may claim to custody investors' crypto, that does not mean they are qualified custodians. Well, they don't unquote. need to be a custodian to hold it. That's Why, the I, definition of a custodian. Yeah. If someone is holding... But they don't have to be like qualified to do that. They just have to be... That's what they're saying, is now they will have to be. That's the proposal that they're proposing Yeah, that's the here. insane part, though. And I mean, and furthermore, who is the SEC to, to determine who is and isn't a good custodian of cryptocurrency? 
they are the ones who will make the changes in the regulations to say we are now in charge of this. That's what they're saying here. They're basically saying is that cryptocurrency exchanges would become would need to become registered with the SEC. And that knows and that would mean God knows what kind of compliance, new rules, new regulations, new costs that would be imposed upon these cryptocurrency exchanges to just simply allow you to buy some damn Bitcoin. Yeah, all the more reason that non-KYC options for acquiring cryptocurrency are so important. And basically don't exist. They're they're being their life is being choked out of them, certainly. Under the new rules, in order to custody any client asset, including and specifically cryptocurrency, an institution would have to hold the charters or qualify as a registered broker-dealer, futures commission merchant, or be a certain kind of trust or foreign financial institution. So whatever the hell all that means, these are different yeah. legal legalese terminology, legalese financial terminology that the SEC, these different categories. None of which means anything to me. I don't know what a qualified trust is or whatever. Yeah. A broker dealer, a futures commission merchant, or a trust or foreign financial institution. The SEC said the proposal. It has to be, if it's one of our buddies, basically. They, they have to be one of our buddies is what I heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they said the proposal would not alter the requirements to be a qualified custodian and that there was nothing precluding state chartered trust companies, including Coinbase or Gemini, from serving as qualified custodians, except if the SEC says no. Right. right. So what they're saying here is we're not going to change the requirements to be a qualified custodian, whatever the hell that means. We're saying that now we're going to require people who are holding onto Bitcoin for other people to register with us. Now, if they don't allow you to register, if they deny your registration, then you will no longer, you will not be a qualified custodian and you will be violating the law by holding on to customer funds and then you will be forced to close or leave the United States. I mean, this could, uh, I do still see how this could be a good thing if it required cryptocurrencies to, to, I mean, cryptocurrency exchanges to make a purchase on behalf of a customer and then immediately turn that coin over to that customer instead of holding it in the exchange's wallet. Um, it doesn't and, work that and way. And even then, the free market should allow them to, you know, if the, if custodial wallets are what the free market wants, then that, that should be allowed. However, I I don't necessarily see a problem with Coinbase. If you buy $500 worth of Bitcoin from Coinbase, they have to immediately send that $500 worth of Bitcoin directly to a wallet that you control. But that's not how exchanges typically work. It might be, right. it might be possible to do that if you're talking about somebody who has dollars that they've deposited with Coinbase, want to buy Bitcoin and withdraw it immediately, there may be an option for that. But that's not the bulk of what that company does. They hold the Bitcoin that people buy. They want people to keep the Bitcoin on their, their platform. And further, on exchange platforms, when you have Bitcoin and you want to buy, say, Dash or Bitcoin Cash or Monero or something like that, then the exchange has to have your Bitcoin in custody. There's no other way to have your coins on an exchange and actually exchange for another crypto unless you have a decentralized exchange. And, and there's really only that's one true. of those out there right now. It's called ThorChain. Um, and that's not that's not Coinbase's business model. They don't make money uh, that way. And they're not going to change into a decentralized exchange. So you can't put yeah. an order on an order book without having the coins on the exchange to back it up. So this is just not an option. So they are going to be forced to become these so-called qualified custodians 
under these new regulations, presuming that they're adopted, and why wouldn't they be, right? If the SEC wants these new regulations, they're going to come into uh, to play. According to the story here, officials emphasized the proposed amendments didn't make a decision on which cryptocurrencies the SEC considers securities. All the, of them. Yeah. The amended regulation would also require a written agreement between custodians and advisors, expand the surprise examination requirements, and enhance record-keeping rules. So there'll be even more paperwork for these exchanges to go through. This is what Coinbase wanted, so it's hard to feel bad for Coinbase in particular. The SEC right. previously had sought public feedback on whether crypto-friendly state-chartered trusts like those in Wyoming were, quote-unquote, qualified custodians. Gensler said in a statement, Make no mistake, today's rule, the 2009 rule, covers a significant amount of crypto assets. As the release states, most crypto assets are likely to be funds or crypto asset securities covered by the current rule. Further, though some crypto trading and lending platforms may claim to custody investors' crypto, that does not mean they are qualified custodians. And so that's what he's trying to do here, is he's trying to force, and will be from all, you know, and there's no reason what? to believe this isn't going to go through, to force all these businesses to become so-called qualified custodians or close. Let consumers determine who is and isn't qualified to hold their cryptocurrency. Oh, well, yeah, that didn't work with FTX, did it? Well, I would have told anyone who was paying attention not to keep their money with FTX. We've been saying from the very beginning not to keep your coins on an exchange. That's true. We because have. the only qualified custodian for your cryptocurrency is you. This is a fact. If you want to weigh in, you can. Let's go to this phone call. Uh, you're on Free Talk Live. What's your name? Hey, my name's Timothy. I'm in Florida. Timothy, what's on your mind tonight? Uh, yeah, no, I, I heard you talking about the, uh, the Thor chain, which I've never used. Um, I do know of one other uh, decentralized um, non-custodial exchange. It's actually network software, peer-to-peer. Uh, -peer. It's called BitSquare. Hmm. Uh, there was some name issue, and they changed the name to BISC. Oh, yeah, BISC. B-I-S-Q. Yep. We mentioned that a little, and, uh, little while ago. Yeah, we talked about it previously. Um, have you used it? Um, I've never made any exchanges. I've, I've only installed it, um, but I noticed that the, the wallets are all local on your machine. Mm -hmm. So, for, for example, the, the Bitcoin is actually integrated into the BitSquare and then all of the other wallets you would have to have installed um, locally. Mm. Yeah, that's a little complex uh, for, for people to set up. Uh, and I, the last time I looked at BISC, and it's been a few years, uh, but the last time I looked, there just wasn't a lot going on. Did you notice, have you used it recently or looked at it recently, and did you see whether there was a, a fair amount of volume or trades so, going that's on? Actually, yeah, that's actually interesting. The volume went up until about the time of uh, that Bankman Freed guy, mm. and then I noticed it started to drop off. Well, that's true but, for um, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it, it gained some popularity, but I, to be honest, I, I've been listening to you guys since about, at least 2010. Wow. And, Thank um, you. I, I somehow, I'm like, they never talk about this. I'm like, I got to call them one day and tell them about it, because... Yeah, it's funny that you called because we actually talked about it earlier tonight. Indeed. Um, but, yeah, I, uh, but yeah, I was we've... listening to you, and I'm like, man, I got to call them. They got to know about this. But I got to check out ThorChain, too. I've never used that. 
Yeah, definitely. It's an exciting sounding technology. I appreciate your call tonight. And uh, yep. if you ever do end up using this, definitely let us know what the experience was like. Because Aria and I are prohibited from uh, from doing yeah. that. So we can't explore that. Uh, but thank you Man, for the call I, tonight. I want to write you a letter, too. I want to write a letter for you. But like, I'm, I got to talk to my mom because she's. She's an English professor. All right, very good. Well, you can learn more about that over at letters.freetalklive.com and how you can write to the judge in uh, in my case. So thank you for the call tonight. I appreciate it. There's more coming up. Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live. We have time for you. If you want to join the show, the number is 603-283-6160. It's Ian and Aria here tonight. That's 603-283-6160. You can join us online over at freetalklive.com. We have a variety of features there, and they are free, including our podcast. You can go to feeds.freetalklive.com, and you can subscribe there. You can copy our RSS feed, put it into your favorite podcast client and get the latest episodes of the show delivered directly to you every single day uh you can also use the links there to go to the major platforms that we are already on like uh, iHeartMedia or spotify those are all linked over there at feeds.freetalklive.com we're going to continue with uh, more of your calls and thoughts we have david in new mexico david you're on free talk live yeah you were talking about the uh, law surrounding search like uh, your electric bill kind of thing oh Kinsler, bankman freed madoff and but before i uh, address that question of law that you brought up uh aria the other day you you had said on air that uh, there was something like 10 major corporations in the united states that own uh you know a majority or a hell of a lot of the wealth in the country is there something wrong with that ian was saying there was nothing wrong with that i i we have a difficult time not being prepared to talk about it to, you know, really lay out what's wrong with it. But yeah, it's kind of a problem that, you know, 10 corporations ultimately control a huge amount of all of the products in the United States. And what do you think of that, Ian? I'm not aware of uh, this discussion, but, you know, I would rather have a free market. So uh, right. the only reason why big corporations exist like this is because they're protected by the government. So I don't know where you got the idea that that's just okay with me. I'm against the idea of corporations in general. I was right. I was basing it on the other day when you were laughing at me because I suggested that uh, in every way possible uh, and when ways aren't possible, we make it possible to buy uh, all of the things or almost all the things or as many of the things as we need from other and those types of corporations, preferably from uh, indiv- individual. This has been the worst, businesses. David, from New Mexico call ever. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. You? Thanks, thanks for going off on a tangent. What now. are you trying to say? We should buy them from individual people? Sure, if you can afford it and their their products are good. Is that what he was getting at? Well, I have no idea. If, if you, if you, if, if you what, talking about affording it, um, uh, can you afford to go to prison? Can you afford to make a complete statement? Yeah, you seem to be a little jumpy tonight, I'm, David. I'm, You're kind of no, all over well, the place. I'm having, I'm having a discuss. Unfortunately, I'm having a discussion where uh, an IQ of about 130 plus would be helpful to understand where I'm going. You can't afford to go to prison, right? You don't want to do that. That's a bad thing. That's not. That's not a good thing. What does right? that have anything to do with the discussion about I'll, I'll buying products you. from I'll t- people? I'll tell. I'll tell you. Supporting your jailers by buying from 
the fascist corporations that are in bed with your jailers um, because it's more affordable to buy from them, Walmart, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, instead of paying twice the price from a mom and pop business. Um, because Man, I hope they fix that Adderall shortage. <laughs> No, no, no. Well, well, you know what? Right. Get, get I'm going to just go and buy get, my toothbrush and toothpaste and uh, all of the household cleaning chemicals from a mom-and-pop business because those are all available by mom-and-pop businesses in my area. Well, actually, they are. The hell they are. I don't think they are. <laughs> well, you haven't, looked, you haven't looked hard enough. I'm sure oh, I okay, can find dude. them. I live in a small town. And the whole buy local thing, the whole buy local thing is, yeah, and you can go, okay, and you can go and buy household cleaning chemicals and you can go and buy your toothbrush and toothpaste from handmade craft uh, maidens in your small town? Yes, 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 actually you can. That's amazing. I don't think I want my neighbors mixing, you you know, Clorox in their bathtub to (laughs) sell people. I'm like, I'm not going to say they can't do it, and I'm not going to advocate that the government, you know, stop them from doing it, but they're like, hey, you want want to buy some, don't buy store brand bleach, buy the bleach that I mixed in my bathtub. I'm like, there there are people who, um, you know, have like natural remedy kind of home cleaning things that they, that they can put together. And maybe if you went to the farmer's market and looked around, you might be able to find somebody, uh, that, uh, that was offering that. But the reality is time is important as far as, you know, if you're a busy person and Aria, you and I are both, uh, pretty busy. We don't have time to go hunt around for, somebody's homemade concoction of a window cleaner when it's just right there on the shelf at uh, at some local you know corporation or whatever so look i get where he's coming from corporations ultimately probably not the best things for the world but there's a convenience factor that uh, that comes into play and i will i will buy things locally uh when i can and when it's uh, convenient we are buying raw milk uh for instance that comes from a new hampshire farm we're not going to the farm to do it uh, we're going because that would take a lot of time, right. uh, but we are going to uh, the local co-op grocery store, which isn't as corporate as some other grocery stores. But on the bad side, they were crazy about masks two years ago. So it's like it's not a good feeling to go there and buy from them. The The point is there's no perfect solution. There's no easy option because the easier it is. The worse it is in a lot of cases as far as big corporations, yeah. but then also uh, the harder it is, the more expensive it is in, in a lot of cases as well. And so like, there's, there's no real, real winner of a solution because, like I said, the co-op sucks because they're a bunch of commies. Basically, and yeah, the only other solution is to go to the farm yourself and buy the milk directly from the farmer, but obviously that's insanely that's insane well right? the, i mean it's not farmer, insane if you live next door well I mean, the farmer right probably there. doesn't want to do that with you in the first place Some do uh jay noon our thursday night co-host actually does regularly go to a farm and get fresh milk but okay. he lives in the woods yeah so like the farm isn't out of the way for him it's probably just down the the road whereas here you know you have to leave the city and then go into uh, the the woods and make sure they're going on the day that they're open and so on and so forth and it's just like it's just not worth putting that kind of effort in i'm not the only one who feels that way bonnie also while she's very interested in things like raw milk uh you know it would be have to be delivered basically and they deliver to the co-op so we go there and we spend 10 dollars on uh, a jug of a uh, gallon of, of raw Good milk. Lord, though. That is pricey. Yeah. It's like, what, three times, four times the price of your typical gallon? Because it's not subjected to the milk subsidies that the U.S. government puts 
into oh, okay. uh, to the milk business. So you're actually paying what like an actual gallon of milk, relatively fresh from the farm, will cost. Okay. So I don't know. Uh, I is get, it better? I think Bonnie would say it is, but I I can't really tell the difference. Okay. But her sense of taste is much more refined, I think, than than mine is. Like she can eat food and identify the different flavors in it of the ingredients. I'm like that tastes good. Okay. You know. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Let's continue here. You're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead. What's on your uh, What's your name? My name is Cynthia. Cynthia, you're on the air. Thank you. Um, I'm a retired physician, and I get hostile when I realize our government restricts us from from uh, from using from accessing safe substances that are very useful. Like um, what? And I, well, I've never had an addiction. I had a friend who quit alcohol, cocaine, and tobacco all at the same time, and he said the hard one was tobacco. So it comes along a few years, and I realize that there's something called cotinine which is a derivative of nicotine. So you uh, take in nicotine and your body creates cotinine from it. And cotinine turns out to be very safe and does all the positive benefits of the nicotine without the negative. So the government Hmm. slaps a designation on it, makes it unavailable. Mm -hmm. But I just checked Wikipedia and apparently they're going to allow it to be out by prescription. And I'm thinking we need to go county by county, state by state, Pulling these kind of um, abuses away from the federal government. And I, so I wanted to give people that alert that a cotinine has all the positive aspects without the addiction. So um, when you say positive aspects, you're talking about the positive aspects of nicotine? And what are right, those? Right, nicotine is, has, does have some positive attributes. And it's what a are stimulant those? and increases creativity and uh, some other things, I'm, I imagine? Oh, hell, it increases your IQ while you're using it. <laughs> okay. You're is under it... stress. You need to think clearly, and the nicotine does help. Huh. I've never noticed any of that, but then again, I've never been a nicotine addict. I have smoked some cigarettes in my day on rare occasion. There was one summer where I was smoking about one cigarette a day just for the hell of it, um, and I kind of understood why people would get addicted to it, but it never really did anything more than just give me a little buzz. So I don't know You're if so I'm going to say it's like the greatest so thing. fortunate not to have got developed an addiction to it. Well, I'm sure if I'd continued, yeah. I would have likely developed an, an addiction to it. But I put it down uh, after that summertime. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, you said it was called cotinine. Is that right? C-O-T-I-N-I-N-E. Cotinine. Okay. Well, that's something for people to do some research on. Was there anything else you wanted to share? Um, well, only that I had read that the patents for Bitcoin for that technology had gone through the Rose Law Firm, which is Hillary Clinton's old law firm. That, uh, there's no such thing as a patent for Bitcoin. It's not a. It's not owned by anyone. Okay. Well, uh, somebody dug up something, and they're pretty good researchers. And maybe I should find it and send it to you. Yeah, feel free. I'd be happy to hear about that. Thank you for the call tonight, Cynthia. I do appreciate hearing from you. Uh, yeah, Bitcoin is uh, open source technology. It is, and that means that the code of the computer code that Satoshi Nakamoto wrote in tw- roughly 2008, that was released in 2009 as a program that you could download, uh, is open source. So anyone who's got the programming chops can go and look at it. They can go and download it. They can compile it. They can change it. They can, you know, that's why we have thousands of competitors to Bitcoin today, because most of them, with the exception of a few like Monero, most of them were based off of the original Bitcoin code. 
Uh, so there yep. is no such thing as a patent when it comes to Bitcoin. I believe uh, it would. I don't know if anyone could try to even patent Bitcoin. Uh, I don't know no, how I, the whole patent I think at this works. point your patent would be denied because the technology is it's out there now. Yeah, I would hope. I would hope it would be demise. You would think somebody's tried that. Like Craig, Craig Wright probably tried to patent I would the imagine Bitcoin so. code yeah. and got smacked down. Uh, so if you want to comment here, you can. The number is six zero three two eight three sixty one sixty. Do you want to try this new drug she's talking about and maybe pick up a new habit to replace your nicotine? Uh, no, yeah. I'm all set. No, I okay. haven't had nicotine in more than a year now, nice. and I'm quite happy with that. I mean, there are occasions like during this call like the last 10 minutes where i'm like man a cigarette would be nice but like it's <laughs> it's passing and it's not it's not even a thought about mm. nicotine in the way that it would have been you know 15 months ago it's just a, it's a memory and i think you know yes in a lot of ways my health did sort of start deteriorating when i quit smoking and i don't know if that's related or not but that is absolutely when my energy level plummeted mm. and never recovered but and but that's also around the same time where I got COVID nineteen. So did mm-hmm. I get this long COVID where it just saps away your fatigue for a very long time? I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. it's just because I quit sucking down stimulants twenty four seven because nicotine is a stimulant. Mm-hmm. I don't know, and I don't really care. Well, and you're piling on the court system situation as well, so there's some right, extra stressors. Certainly not helping in your life. Working seven days a week also not helping. So all of these things are, you know, factoring together. And ultimately, I'm glad that I quit smoking. And I Yeah, that's what you've said off the air, too. So. Yeah, I've said one time to someone that, you know, if I wasn't sentenced to prison, I would have started, I would start back smoking. And that that's not no. true. No, no, it's certainly not true. It, it, that, there was a conversation we were having at one point, but I wanted to clear the air on that, that no, it, it's true that knowing that I would have to just quit again w- would certainly prohibit me from resuming quitting smoking if I really wanted to, but I don't really want to, and I don't ever want to be beholden to something like that again. That that sucked. Mm-hmm. You're not in control of yourself, and you are at its mercy to an extent. And if you try to resist it, if you're like, no, I'm just not going to smoke this cigarette, you, it's going to have a f- physiological effect on you, and that sucks. Like when you first wake up in the morning, I needed mm. that cigarette. It wasn't optional. Is and that pre coffee? Would you would you get oh, the yeah. cigarette the, before the nicotine coffee? Nicotine was way more important mm-hmm. than anything else. Yeah. Like before, I would get that morning trip to the bathroom. I had to get nicotine. Wow. In me. There, there was wow. nothing more important than waking up and getting that nicotine. Wild. And God help you if you got in the way of that, <laughs> right? <laughs> And once I got that, everything was fine. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, and I was back to normal. I could function just fine. But and that w- there were a, a periods where I would wake up years ago and I would you know, run out of cigarettes the night before or whatever because I was bad at planning. Mm. And waking up without a cigarette and having just that 10-minute delay of getting up and going to the store to acquire cigarettes would ruin your – it, it would ruin hours just that 10-minute delay of n- being awake and not getting nicotine. And the whole time Man. you're on edge, your body hates it, your brain hates it. That's Dude, being owned by that, uh, yeah. that chemical. I, I, w- I would never, ever want to go back to that. So Chantix, yeah, it sucked. And it was expensive. Mm-hmm. It was like $500 a month for Chantix. Wow. But it did the job. How many months did you have to do it? Uh, four, I think. Okay. Yeah. Four in total. You probably saved that much in cigarettes. Oh, absolutely. Then. Oh, significantly you know, more. So a pack pay, a day, that's yeah. $8 a day. At, at, pays for itself. For the cheaper ones. Yeah, pays for itself. So yeah, with inside of a few months, it would have paid for itself. I'm not convinced that you know, smoking, even then, was probably more expensive per day. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know, but I'm glad I quit smoking and I wouldn't nice. go back Congrats. to it. And I wish Chantix was more available for people to do. It did have side effects, but the the main side effect is being free of a nicotine addiction. I remember my girlfriend in Florida got some sort of smoking cessation shot. They like shot a needle in her butt and like injected some sort of chemical into her that basically made it disgusting, like a disgusting feeling whenever she would think about wanting to smoke and it worked for her that's very similar to what chantix yeah. did but it like, was only a one shot and then they said that if it stopped working she could come back and get another shot for free but she didn't have to go back very cool yeah uh and this was 20 years ago so i don't know it's probably gotten better uh since then maybe cheaper but i don't remember what the actual chemical was called it was just like the smoking cessation shot so uh james o'keefe there's been some serious drama when it comes to Project Veritas, uh, which we've talked a lot about in recent months with uh, Free Talk Live. They've done some amazing undercover work revealing the you know ugly underbelly of Pfizer and Twitter and doing these really interesting undercover uh, jobs on these people and revealing the truth. And uh, now the truth appears to be that James O'Keefe is no longer working for Project Veritas, although it's hard to really tell whether he quit or was fired. Uh, different reports out there seem to indicate kind of different things, but he's Well, six done. of one, half a dozen of the other, right? Yeah. Uh, according to National Review, which is a right-wing website, the guerrilla filmmaker James O'Keefe, known for exposing left-wing politicians and institutions, is out at Project Veritas, the conservative media company he founded more than a decade ago. In a 45-minute video, which appears to have been filmed Monday at Veritas's office, O'Keefe announced that he was, quote, packing up his personal belongings after he had been indefinitely suspended from his role as CEO and removed from the group's board of directors. So it sounds Brutal. like he was basically let go, but not really, and so therefore he just said, all right, I'm done. Uh, I can tell you don't want me here anymore. Right. Okay. Well, they were either going to fire him or he was going to quit. So, I mean, yeah, he the relationship to... was over. He uh, said that uh, he was talking with the staffers there. The video was published anonymously on Vimeo, was quote-unquote just for us, and was being recorded for internal distribution, though he seemed to want the footage released widely. Quote, none of this makes any sense, and why is this happening right now? Those are the questions I have. I don't have answers, he said. While he may be out at Project Veritas, O'Keefe says he intends to continue his work and said he may uh, suggested he may start a rival watchdog organization and poach talent from Project Veritas. Yeah, don't corporatize this one, though. Don't, don't do the whole board of directors thing. Or if you do have some sort of rules in place where you can't be removed from the organization that you founded. Yeah, it's like so sad when this happens, and it has happened so many times. Yep. Uh, he says, our mission continues. I'm not done. The mission will perhaps take on a new name, and it may no longer be called Veritas, Project Veritas. I'll need a bunch of people around me, and I'll make sure you know how to find me, he said. The announcement comes after weeks of internal discord at Project Veritas and apparent conflicts between O'Keefe and other leaders of the conservative watchdog group. He was suspended by the board earlier this month after he attempted to fire the group's chief strategy and financial officers over alleged conflicts over fundraising. In the video Monday, he noted his ouster came on the heels of the release 
of the undercover video that showed a Pfizer research director expressing concerns about the vaccines and acknowledging his company planned to mutate the coronavirus through directed evolution. We played some of those clips on the air here, and then that guy lost his mind when he was confronted, grabbed the uh, the tablet from the Project Veritas people, slamming it on the ground, destroying uh, their tablet, and just absolutely went crazy when he realized he was caught was some of the as uh, but Oaks, they still got the video they off got of the it? video yeah it was well undercover camera was recording it okay uh but uh, they they came up to him with a tablet showing him him you know the undercover video on the tablet like hey man oh. we caught you what do you have to say for yourself and he just he lost it it was amazing video and in fact even o'keefe said that that was the biggest story in our organization's history uh, he said but stop short of saying directly it was connected to his downfall he said he didn't know why this was happening there's been speculation that O'Keefe was ousted to protect the organization from legal fallout from the videos. But what was what I've heard is that there's staffers, and they mention it coming up here, there's an 11-page letter uh, signed by 16 Project Veritas employees and including opinions and anecdotes from allegedly a third of their staffers was sent to the board taking aim at O'Keefe's management style and business acumen. In the letter, he was described as a power-drunk tyrant and a diva who abused, bullied, demeaned, and overworked his employees and who caused concerns among donors. One employee even accused him of taking a pregnant woman's sandwich in court. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all of that's despicable. And, you know, being a being an investigative journalist or whatever he would call himself, I would say it's investigative journalism, doesn't necessarily mean you're a good boss or a good sure. business person. And in this sense... Having the corporate infrastructure is a good thing. Having someone who is a good boss. And who can do the numbers or yeah. whatever, right? Having those people is it's a good thing. So, I mean, and, you know, maybe James O'Keefe should have stepped back from all that stuff and said, hey, look, I'm, I'm not a good boss. I shouldn't be in the position of telling people what to do. So I'm not going to. But, but he was also the CEO. There. So he right. was the boss. Right, maybe um, that was the issue. It's just that he wasn't in charge. But here's the thing: it's like if you work with enough people, somebody you're going to run rub somebody the wrong way. Yeah, you know, there's been a few people here at Free Talk Live, and we don't have employees. We just have people that like being on the radio, and they come in and they do a show with us. But there's been some times when I've had to tell somebody, "You're not welcome to come back," uh, for various different reasons. Sure, and I don't like having to do that, but I'm the one who does that. And, you know, so whether they have hard feelings against me for that, I mean, that's up to them. But not everybody's going to work well together. If you've got, and it sounds like there's maybe about 64 people uh, that work or 50 or so people that work for Project Veritas, there's just a good chance that some of those people are not going to like you. And maybe some of those people got those jobs specifically to undermine you. And that is another possibility here is that Project Veritas is a well-known effective media organization that does some very unique kind of reporting. You don't see undercover camera reporting a lot from the mainstream media these days. They used to do it. I remember yeah. I remember when I was growing up there was like the channel uh channel eight in Tampa Bay would do eight on your side and they would have like an undercover guy go into a like an automotive dealer, an undercover woman go into an automotive dealer and like try to ask them what's wrong with their car and they're of course lying to her, right? About, oh well this is wrong and you need to fix this and that. Yeah. And then they took it to somebody that was an honest dealer and they would say yeah they lied to you about x y and z and so boom busted you know so it was kind of like an interested an interesting kind of tactic 
I don't see that anymore. But then again, we do live in New Hampshire where that's illegal. So maybe it still goes on. I also uh, don't watch the places. news. So. Yeah, ne- neither do I. But this is like really hard-hitting stuff that they do. And so it wouldn't surprise me if their political opposition sent people in. Like the FBI. Or yeah, the maybe. CIA or whatever. Yeah, they, they could be government people. They've been or they infiltrated. Could, or they could just be, you know, people that are Pfizer stockholders or whatever, right? I don't know. Mm. Uh, but but people who are against Project Veritas, whoever that would be, could just go and apply for jobs and say, hey, look, I got this conservative resume here. We've seen, you know, conservatives fight with each other just like libertarians fight with each other. This petty yeah. kind of crap goes on. And so it could simply be that there's some people that are in the organization that have been against him from day one. And now they've managed to manipulate themselves into positions where they've got the influence or they're on the board of directors or whatever. But as you pointed out, Arya, the mistake made here was uh, having a board of directors in the first place. And the other side of this ugliness is the Project Veritas statement that was put out from the board of directors where they accuse uh, O'Keefe of spending money irresponsibly on himself uh, saying, saying he spent 14 grand on a charter flight to meet someone to fix his boat under the guise of meeting with a donor, $60,000 in losses by putting together dance events such as Project Veritas Experience, spending over $150,000 in black cars in the last 18 months, thousands of dollars spent on DJ equipment for personal use, and they claim hundreds of other acts of personal inurement. So it's it's ugly. Well, those things are called embezzlement, and those those are crimes. Yeah, whether it's true or not, who knows? But that's what the allegations are. We'll see you tomorrow. On Free Talk Live, we're bringing people to the ideas of liberty every day. From wrestling superstars like Glenn Jacobs. You guys really are having an impact, I believe. Like I said, uh, a lot of where I am now is due to listening to Free Talk Live. You changed my mind on some very important issues years ago. To random people tuning in on the radio. I was kind of stuck in the left-right paradigm. I heard your show by chance on a Saturday night. From there, I went on, joined the Free State Project, and become an amplifier. So, I mean, that's really the reason why I amp is uh, because I know that if it wasn't for you guys being on as many stations as you are, I never would have found the ideas of liberty. You can help more people hear the message of liberty by joining Free Talk Live's AMPS program on Patreon for as little as $5 a month. And you'll get access to special perks. Visit amps.freetalklive.com, amps.freetalklive.com.